You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. is a paranoid schizophrenic. Paranoid schizophrenic? But he's a gunner. 100 years ago, there was a series of murders so grisly. Some theorize that Jack the Ripper was a medical man. I believe that would also apply in this case. Human mutilations so meticulous. My brother didn't kill anybody. That an entire city was paralyzed in fear. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Next week, we are covering some of the most unhinged 90s thrillers that we've ever seen in our lifetime. So join that sleaze, baby. That's right. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover as well. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we are in our I've already lost track. Is it sixth, seventh year or something like that? Yeah. There's like 150 plus bonus episodes as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films and the January trash will soon be upon us. Yes. Everyone looks forward to the January bonus transmission when it eventually drops. Night swim. Uh, I'm coming so- for you. That's right. So if you want any of that, <laughs> patreon.com slash Slezoids podcast. Uh, and speaking of which, we have a bunch of new patrons to give their shout outs here. Uh, we had Ian Williams sign up at $5 a month. We had Nick Romano upgrade from $5 a month to $10 a month and is joining us for the monthly virtual screening, awesome. uh, which we always do on the last Thursday of any given month. And we're going to have some fun in 2024 here. We had LP Gartner sign up uh, for at the annual tier, got an entire year of the show, which you can get a little bit of a monthly discounted rate if you sign up uh, at that. We had North Strathy sign up, John Eden, Omri Kernet, Sam Enstran, Eric Rapson, uh, Henry Maloney, Juan Camacho, Tim Vickers, uh, Max Parsons, David Nicholson, Brian DeFres- uh, oh, DeFrancesco, uh, Shan, who signed up for an entire year. Welcome back, Shan. I think that's our Discord patron, Altoid. Oh. Love that guy. Welcome. Mr. Welcome New Jersey back. himself. Uh, we had Austin Ammer sign up, uh, Tony fan, uh, which I believe is Tony Scott fan, Mr. Olav signing up for another entire year of the show. Hell yeah. uh, we had Alistair Brown sign up, Anthony Cabrera, Jordan Bowles, who signed up for an entire year. A lot of people at the annual tier, uh, Max Pittman, uh, Noah, and last but not least, Andrew Ross. So thanks so much to all of you folks. We appreciate the support. Hope you're enjoying all those bonus episodes. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other, as always, is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you were listening on either one of those platforms, and I can see the stats, I could see you right now listening on both those platforms. Give us a good old rating and review over on those apps. It helps us uh, climb the ranks and find new listeners. 
And the very last plug, as always, is merch. If you like the poster art that Based Out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for our show, you can get that put on basically anything that you can think of. And you guys have got a lot of stuff. Uh, notebooks, hoodies. Uh, someone got a coffee mug recently with a little with a little Sleazoids logo on it. It's very Hell cute. Yeah. Link to that is in the description of this episode, uh, as well as over at sleazoidspodcast.com for anyone interested. But that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis. And joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. I believe two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks would have heard from us. And it would have been the last main feed episode of 2023, where Jamie and I, as we like to do, <laughs> put the year to bed by counting It'll down ever. our uh top genre movies of the year which we expanded from 10 movies to 15 <laughs> movies official top 15 and somehow in our brains we went well this is going to be a shorter episode than the year before because we added more movies yeah and instead it was a five hour long episode um yeah so. luckily so far the the feedback on the five hours has been i think mostly positive so you're not totally sick of us that's good it's good to know yeah <laughs> And it's just, just people it's just more love adding us. to the watch list. That's what it is. Yeah. How many three star classics that, <laughs> you know, can we bring up that no one saw? That's exactly. ultimately what that episode is. That is the goal. More than our favorite movies. <laughs> so if you haven't heard that episode, it's a monster five hours. And we have been hearing some people have been breaking it up into various stretches. Uh, so <laughs> in, in should, various probably. days. Yeah, as you probably should. <laughs> um, but uh, last week over on the Patreon feed, we were kicking off 2024 uh, and we did so by declaring it the year of the lion. We talked about some <laughs> lion exploitation eco horror films uh, with a double feature of Noel Marshall's uh, family comedy uh, about saving African wildlife turned notoriously irresponsible <laughs> and accidental documentary snuff film a little film called roar from 1981 tippy hedron's in it melanie griffith's in it and a lot of lions that are nearly scalping them and killing them yeah it is it is wild it is one of my favorite clusterfucks to ever be put on screen it's just an absolute mess but one of the most entertaining <laughs> irresponsible things i've ever seen so it's great highly recommend yeah, and we paired that with Stephen Hopkins, the director of Predator Two, uh, and mm -hmm. and 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 screenwriter William Goldman, who wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a collaboration you might not expect. <laughs> uh, we we talked about them in 1996 teaming up on a very old-fashioned uh, sort of studio colonial biographical drama film called The Ghost and the Darkness, uh, starring Val Kilmer as a bridge engineer who, you know, uh, gets involved with, uh, some, some, some lions in, in Africa and Michael Douglas shows up about one hour into the movie so that it can turn <laughs> into an animal attack thriller horror film more akin to like Jaws if the shark was a lion. Yeah. He totally derails the film. It's, it's like, uh, it's like starring Val Kilmer and forcibly starring Michael Douglas as well, basically. But, um, it's, it's still got quite just, a, just cause quite he was the producer and he was it. like, dude, what if I dress like crocodile Dundee and I shot a lion? Wouldn't <laughs> yeah. that be such a cooler movie than Val Kilmer as Lawrence of Arabia? <laughs> and the best hunter in the entire world. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hilarious the way he derails it, but it's still a, a solid flick. Yeah, so lots of lion talk last week over patreon.com slash podcast for anyone interested. Uh, 
But moving on to this week, we have the return of one of our favorite genre film fanatics. She is a freelance film writer for Film School Rejects and for Cinemascope Magazine. She's also my uh, now official Toronto Film Festival partner for all things genre-related and where uh, (laughs) this episode we're going to be talking about today was, was born, which I will let her get into. But that guest is Meg Shields. Meg, how you doing? Oh, I'm so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> good to hear. Do you yeah, remember no, where you pitched this episode? No. Will you tell me? Do you remember? <laughs> I do. It was. It was. We were watching When Evil Lurks. Oh hell! And you yeah. said oh, a highlight. And I and I don't uh, remember why it, I don't remember why it came up, but you were just like, "Have you seen the movie where James Spader is like, fighting Jack the Ripper or something?" And I was like, "No." Josh. <laughs> Sometimes when you're staring off into space, you just remember yeah. that someone made a movie where James Spader plays twins. So <laughs> yeah. That's all. It just floats into your mind. <laughs> I don't need a reason. Yeah, I mean, I get yeah. it. Well, I mean, it's it, it's it's been a little while since since we had you on. The last two times we've had you on, you you very much switched it up on us. The first was oh, yeah. some so, extremely healed and normal. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was it was some extremely bizarre 90s erotic thrillers. We talked Disclosure, in which Michael Douglas is confronted with the scary reality of uh, Demi Moore having power in the workplace. And virtual um, reality. Yeah. And virtual reality. Uh, yeah. William Friedkin's Jade was, I think, the pairing where he managed to somehow sneak a wild car chase into like a sex worker serial killer procedural movie. Um, yeah, that's where and it then, belongs. And then, and then last year, I think it was it was the feel bad vibes, snowy westerns, the Robert yeah. Mitchum variety with Track of the Cat, and then the uh, basically Italian horror version of it with Cutthroat's Nine. Right. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, those were awesome. So you brought you brought a, a lot of uh, distinct and 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 different vibes, and it, so so tell us <laughs> what is going on this week, and and why did you pair these together? <laughs> this is very serious business, Josh. I have no idea why you're laughing. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know why you paired these together. I can't think of it having seen them. <laughs> um, well, uh, I wanted to talk about Jack's back because there's two James Spaders, but then uh, Jack's back is a Jack the Ripper genre film of which there are so many. And when I was like sprinting through my mind palace trying to think of the next best Jack the Ripper genre film, it was obviously the ruling class. <laughs> and then in rewatching for this podcast, I realized that I've also accidentally double billed two asphyxiation movies. Like both both of these films strongly revolve around strangulation. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, on paper, this is a, a Jack the Ripper uh, double bill. Uh, also, just it's it's fun because the punchline of the ruling class is that Jack's back, and then you get to like dovetail perfectly into Jack's back. <laughs> just like I just, it's true. I think I think it's a good double bill, and uh, and they're both excellent movies for extremely different reasons. Uh, and this is just a great excuse to watch both of them. <laughs> um, yeah, very, very different uh, vibes going from 70s British like satirical comedy to more like the American 80s, like jazzy neo-noir, you know? <laughs> Interesting. We can talk. We'll talk about it when we get there. It, it definitely hits me more as a Jollo than a neo-noir, but I'm excited to unpack that later. Oh, uh, I mean, um, yeah, I kind of I, I kind of see that. But, you know, for, for me, for me, Manhunter is the reference point, which I guess has a little bit of Giallo in it. So. That synth sure. and that saxophone, baby. 
the saxophone. You gotta love it. <laughs> James Spader sweating it up. <laughs> but yeah, very cool. So yeah, we are we are going Jack the Ripper. Although it is very funny how long it takes the ruling class to get to Jack the Ripper. <laughs> so it's going to be a long time before we start discussing Jack the Ripper. But I'm excited to the talk b- about it. The best anyway. jokes are a long walk. The best jokes are a long walk. <laughs> There's two hours before Jack the Ripper shows up, but I'm excited to talk about them because I would not have watched this movie. Uh, it wasn't high on my priority list anyway, and now I'm like, wow, what an insane movie. <laughs> it is insane, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, so no, it's good. It. It, yeah, <laughs> a movie everyone should see. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into it here. Let's kick things off with the ruling class. But we've always been Church of England. Peter O'Toole is Jack the somewhat eccentric 14th Earl of Gurney, Alistair Sim as the failing Bishop Lambton, Arthur Lowe as Tucker, the far from perfect butler. All right, we are talking The Ruling Class, the 1972 British satirical comedy horror? Question mark? <laughs> no? Directed yeah, by Peter Medak, written by Woo! Peter Barnes. Double two, two Peters going on here, based on his own 1968 stage play and starring Peter O'Toole, Alistair Sim. That's three Peters, baby. <laughs> oh, that's three Peters. God damn. Peter. And Harry Andrews, among a bunch of other actors, um, I was not familiar with, uh, with 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 Peter Barnes, but I guess that he is a British film critic turned playwright and and screenwriter. And this play, which is also called The Ruling Class, is this very absurd aristocratic satire which centers around uh, very men with very long names. Um, <laughs> the, the central one is Jack Arnold Alexander Tencred Gurney, the 14th Earl of Gurney, played by Lawrence of Arabia himself, Peter O'Toole in the film in an insane performance, which we will get into. Uh, but uh, the play is about the Earl as essentially this privately institutionalized, paranoid schizophrenic with delusions of grandeur, including thinking he is the reincarnation of both Jesus Christ and eventually Jack the Ripper, who is chosen to inherit the earldom from his dead father's will, despite everyone uh, thinking it was going to go to a much more competent and respectable member of the family, who then all proceed to conspire to oust him and steal the estate back, which uh, there's a lot of problems that... uh, go wrong doing that a lot of violent violence ensues as a result but apparently this play was a a very big hit on the west end with a lot of praise for its uh for its style for its like deliberate sort of theatricality and ridiculousness and its approach to an aristocratic melodrama kind of gone absurd and, and 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 violently wrong and peter o'toole loved it so much that he bought the rights to it personally he was like, Good I want to I want to be part of that. I don't care <laughs> who makes it. I'm part of that. And uh, he met Mr. Peter Medak, the Hungarian director who would become well known for the 1980 George C. Scott starring horror film The Changeling, which, so I'm which is like most- a, Can- a Canadian classic filmed kilometers away from me. Very, very good movie. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it. it 
And it's part of the uh, George C. Scott trilogy on this show with Hardcore and Exorcist 3 yeah. of uh, re- religious grandpas <laughs> from the Midwest or or I guess upstate New York in, in that case, just going detective mode. And eventually and, just uh, screaming into the void. <laughs> being driven mad in a, a haunted house <laughs> movie, so essentially. Man, I um, wish I, I wish George C. Scott had walked in into the ruling class and been like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah, seeing him react to some of the things that Peter O'Toole says and does in this film in a fantastic like slow zoom or something would have been wonderful. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, but uh, but apparently Peter Medic also loved this material and was constantly pestering. Peter O'Toole to be like, dude, sell me the rights to that. Dude, sell me the rights to that. You're not going to make it. Sell me the rights to that. Um, and apparently, according to the uh, Ben Mankiewicz uh, Turner Classic Movies intro for this film, one night the two of those guys just got drunk off their ass while discussing the play together and they just said, fuck it. <laughs> That's so awesome. We're going to make it together. They went on an all night bender and were just like, I'm fucking drunk. I'm fucking hanging out with this Hungarian director <laughs> and bam, $1.5 million budget. I love that. He was <laughs> well, like, sure. uh, he actually said, I give you 24 hours to set this movie up. Just hammer drunk. Yeah, <laughs> like t- he t- wakes United up artists. after his stupor yeah. and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a part oh, of this no. project. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what's so funny is that Alistair Sim, uh, like the guy who plays the Bishop who mm-hmm. absolutely rips, who like most oh, people so probably good. knows Scrooge. Like, like he cast himself. Like he just called Peter O'Toole and was like, <laughs> I will be playing the Bishop. And Peter O'Toole was like, huh? And he was like, I'll see you on set. <laughs> <laughs> These guys like, just the wanted it. That's amazing. Manifesting that happened. In this movie. <laughs> no one was hired. They just showed up and, uh, and chose their roles. And created this magical, magical movie. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. Yep. And this is uh, this is something else. And it changes gears quite a few times throughout the films. It, it is pretty much centered on Peter O'Toole's very insane, very extreme physical. Uh, performance mm-hmm. that that will get into. It's also two and a half hours long, which I was not expecting when Meg picked it. And I we uh, immediate anytime gotcha. a guest picks <laughs> any, anytime a guest picks something over ninety minutes, they they get a talking to about it. So this is the on air talking to about Aww, this. But I'm you know. just a little guy. <laughs> but uh, but. And, and, and over the course of those two and a half hours, there are some messy tonal shifts. There, there's a lot of, uh, of, of staginess <laughs> and dry and, and, and dry British humor, which we will talk about. Yes. This is one of those movies where you watch it by yourself and you kind of find yourself going, huh. Yeah. <laughs> More every, than, you know. <laughs> every single character in this talks as if they're in like a Shakespearean play or uh, it, it, it's, it's obviously written by a wordsmith in which every character just has an incredible yes. vocabulary and is constantly exercising it. Um, it's, yes. uh, it, it, it's, I, I found it to be incredibly funny, um, but also kind of exhausting in a, in a way. Um, and don't, don't you want just your like to the feel British. like workouts? But yeah, so that, that was my, that's just my a very initial small kind of uh, take on it just, at first here, I guess. Um, yeah. 
But man, does this thing go places? And by the end of it, you are like, you know, starting in like a sort of like absurd sort of comedy of manners, kind of like class satire place. And then eventually exploding into like full on just like madness. Yes. Like psychological horror. And and it even gets abstract by the end of it. I mean, um, it, it starts to play with like the actual locations of where people are and where their mind is. Um, it takes a little while to get there, but before that, we have a bunch of like random musical numbers that last anywhere between ten seconds and three full minutes, and it's uh, which is honestly the best duration because it, every <laughs> yeah. single time a musical number breaks out, you're terrified because you're like, we could be here for a while. Yeah, you don't know. Or, <laughs> like <laughs> the unpredictability of how long the singing will last is is very fun to me. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's a, it. Is funny the the more it uh the basically the more you get into peter o'toole's insane mind as jesus christ the more elaborate everything kind of becomes um it's not grounded by any means in the beginning but because just it's such an insane uh performance and even you know the introduction to him getting the estate is is quite insane with his uh his his father doing what he does but um, oh yeah, the the, yeah. the, op- the opening where it, it literally just starts as like this like classy society like dinner party hosted by the thirteenth Earl of Gurney, who is his father, Ralph Douglas Christopher Alexander Gurney, played by Harry Andrews, and it's at this like very <laughs> lavish manner, and you know he he stands up and basically declares British aristocratic supremacy. You know he's right. like we're gonna keep green the memory of England, the greatest empire the world has ever known, this teeming womb of privilege this feudal state he's like he's really going in about you know Br- britain is an ancient fortress and it's filled with royal blood and you know we we are going to protect this land and this ritual cue god save the queen coming in <laughs> yeah. but he's very clearly in his actual home life pretty unhappy that despite like you know carrying all this weight and owning all of this land as the earl he doesn't actually have a proper heir to take it on from him three of his sons have all died quite young and his last son jack played by peter o'toole uh you know is uh he's 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 a little he's a little he's a little not right in the head (laughs) and so the apple doesn't (laughs) fall far from the tree as we quickly learn like like this man this man is like he he gets home and is effectively power walking to his bedroom, just <laughs> ripping his clothes off, and, like just to get to bed. And then his manservant being like a little kink before dinner, sir. And he's like, oh, I shouldn't. <laughs> like, like, oh, so fucking funny. Also, the the um, that actor I can't remember his name plays um, Woundwort in in Watership Down, the like scary ass fucking like battle scarred rabbit that like does a murder. Oh okay. Um, oh shit. Uh, like like his voice like triggers some part of my amygdala where I'm just like oh boy <laughs> like oh no um, oh, yeah, yeah imagine that like, character from Watership Down doing what this guy's about to do <laughs> yeah yeah putting on a tutu and autoerotically asphyxiating himself yeah no the best but yeah him just like striding to the bedroom with purpose is such an after work mood like as much as he's high class I'm like yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I get it <laughs> I also it's I also been, love all the, uh, all the implications that he just does this all the time when the the butler just starts like very casually taking out the noose and like adjusting it and and just 
Not only that, he serves it to him on a silver platter. <laughs> exactly. He's like, "May oh, I recommend I, I the, silk tonight, the silk tonight, sir?" I will say, uh, out of all of the kind of side characters, even though he has not a ton of dialogue, just his his physical performance, uh, um, how casually he's going through all this in, insane chaos, and how drunk he's doing it the entire time. The butler is one of my favorite characters that just keeps popping up in every scene. He just it, yeah, the it, butler named Tucker, played by yeah. uh, Arthur okay. Arthur Lowe. I do think that when he Left eventually like <laughs> that's yeah, the end of the yeah, it gets revealed as the communist lated. You know, it's a good conspiracy <laughs> near the end. Um, but I I do like the moment and sort of that carries throughout the entire film where the butler walks in on his master and his you know his white tutu his cocked hat he's clearly fantasizing about being at some various like important historical figures like execution or something and accidentally kicks his ladder and ends up actually hanging himself he's obviously he's like I didn't know. How, how could this have happened <laughs> you know yeah. what a freak accident but the butler comes in and sees him swinging back and forth having hanged himself in his tutu and holding his sword and everything and he just chugs the scotch or whiskey that was meant for uh him and that starts this whole thing where the butler just progressively gets more drunk throughout the entire movie because he's just <laughs> watching these rich people just be insane and he that's how he handles it it's, it's well, and like the, ni- the knife twist the knife twist a bit later where the bishop is like totally unbothered by the kink but like very concerned about them burying him in a chapel because they think he committed suicide and everyone's like yes. oh no no like 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 it was an accident like did you see how he was dressed <laughs> yeah all the hysterical bickering immediately among the family members is very funny because the bishop as we mentioned alistair sim yes freaking Fucking out about whether he can be so you know he can't be buried in consecrated ground he committed suicide meanwhile his half-brother charles played by william mervyn and his wife claire played by coral brown are trying to argue whether it even counts as suicide because he clearly was just sexually pleasuring himself you know well, and Alistair, and, uh, Alistair Sim is so fucking funny because he's like whoa, 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 tutu like like he's slow <laughs> on the upkeep yeah oh it's yeah, so and, funny and, and I like that the wife is like well you know you did say he was a bit artistic you know no he's like don't yeah, call oh, my brother fuck. artistic so like they're appalled by that yeah. yeah I also dude Alistair Sim in general is just um I, I think honestly I've only seen him in A Christmas Carol but he's incredible in it and I love that a lot of that delivery it must be something that he did kind of a signature thing that he was doing it with his delivery because his his like stutter his nervous stutter that he does adds so much character and so much um oh, it's so honestly good. comedy eventually to to his uh, just his un he's so he's so unsure about everything that's going on he's trying to stay pure in the eyes of god and all of that and his family is clearly doing things that that are you know immoral in his eyes and, and probably everyone else's as well um but just his nervousness and his stutter is fantastic i love his uh, physical performance yeah He's definitely overwhelmed by the uh, the the sort of messiness of the family drama, yeah. which gets exacerbated by the contents of the will actually getting read, which to all of their shock is, well, first of all, 30,000 pounds to my butler, you know, which results in a goofy <laughs> little cigar chomping musical number from <laughs> from 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 the, the first butler, of many. <laughs> like, yes. Uh, a bunch more of his money to charity, which pisses them all off. <laughs> and then the rest, including the estate and the earlship to his beloved paranoid schizophrenic son, Jack Arnold Alexander, you know, who is now officially the 14th Earl and is Peter O'Toole <laughs> walking into the room 
as Jesus of Nazareth, full brown sandals and robe drip, the long blonde <laughs> flowing wig, various long-winded, deluded monologue sermons that he is delivering as if he were Christ himself. And constantly, uh, every single time he's on screen, he just, these monologues are insane. It, they're, they're pretty incredibly delivered. Yeah, you can you yeah, can see why Peter O'Toole saw the stage play and was like, I'm just going to get to flex on yeah. all of these various hilarious monologues where I am clearly an insane person. Absolutely. There's also that um that great like throwaway comment during the will reading where the family finds out that Jack's going to get everything where they say, well, he obviously let his personal feelings get ahead of his duty to his family, like meeting the dead dad. <laughs> like there's I feel it's such a British joke, like of these these contradictory like on the nose things. But. I love to go. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, one of my favorites was in the scene too. It's right before uh, Peter O'Toole is being introduced and the butler comes back in and it almost seems like when he leaves all happy and, and giddy about, you know, actually getting some, some a b- bonus money f- uh, for, for some, for the, things that he's been doing for so many years. Um, he comes in and he just breaks an expensive vase and is already chomping on a cigar and he's just, and he announces him. And I just love that that's how he gets the attention of people. He's just Immediately like, gives no fucks. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> immediately. Like there's, there's, there's so no many great shots period. of him just like walking around in the background too, like at first trying to get their attention before doing that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's great. And this, this, there's not a ton of camera work that, I thought was exceptional. There are some great moments, though, that I think are, are really uh, incredible. There is one in the beginning that we missed um, or just didn't mention that was uh, when he's do- the dad is doing his speech about being in the powerful group and everything. Um, they have this cool kind of... Uh, Close up between all of the candles within the table of the like the long table with the, all the mm-hmm. men on the sides. I thought it was pretty pretty nice. Um, and then there's this one when Peter O'Toole comes in and he's individually seeing these family members for the first time in a long time. It seems and they do like a POV and introduce them each one by one as the camera kind of tra- or pans over to each one. I thought that that was kind of neat. Um, and there's some a couple later that are really awesome, especially when it transitions into the horror stuff. But I'll save that for now. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can tell that Peter Medic is coming into this and he is translating a lot of blocking that was done for a stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's always hard, I think, for a filmmaker to figure out, like, how to impose the camera on that. Because right. especially the with these long winded monologues that they're that they're doing and, and purposely yeah. long winded, I mean. And, and, and where so much of it is that you want to see the reactions from the other characters. You want to hold yeah. these wider shots where you can see the physicality of everyone in the room because that's how it was originally written to be enjoyed, right? So there's right. there's part of that that definitely has an effect on this, which is not to say that it's not like cinematic at all. There's definitely some choices made. There's definitely some great uh, angled shots. I do mm-hmm. like a lot of the shots of Peter O'Toole like when he's up on the wall on the cross. Definitely. One, because or it's a great like, gag. Um, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Just like also during the will reading scene, like there's a angled mirror behind the uh, the advocate and it like looks like a painting because everyone's so still, but it allows you to yeah. see the faces of the family as they're like facing. Mm-hmm. Like there, there, there is some clever moments of innovation, but I do feel like this is a play to screen film that gets a bit caught up in being more, you know, tied to being a play. Yeah. Um, but that, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you they, can, you can, you can see how, you know, like these guys clearly loved the play for a reason and they're trying to preserve all the things that they liked about the play. Right. And, and, also, and, like, and, I don't and know. I'll, there's enough dramatic zooms for me. Like, like <laughs> that's cinema, baby. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but even just terms of like, obviously like how scenes are written, like so many scenes are oh, like sure. characters sometimes leaving a room and coming back into a room and they're, they, you know, like, or, you know, like, like one of the, first things that we see is when Peter O'Toole is having all of these different interactions with various family members. And one of them is with his aunt Claire, where they kind of get pulled aside and go over to a couch. And she has that conversation with him. She's like, you know, how do you know you're God? He's like, simple. When I pray to him, I find I'm talking to myself. Aunt Claire is interesting. And like, I feel like other characters slip into this, but I find with her, she's like the first one to really do it. Where even though these upper class folks are like absolutely trying to fuck him over to like secure their land title, sometimes they're really good allies. Like they definitely like are very gentle and affirming to him about mm-hmm. him being God. Like, like at <laughs> no point are they ever like, calling his delusion what it is to his face like until until that is the name of the game like for the most part they're very like yes andy about it which is very like dramatically interesting to watch but also just very like unexpectedly kind yeah. <laughs> these people yeah because um, he keeps out and keeps- also an absolutely more interesting of like, like i would much rather that aunt claire be like how do you know you're god than than like just keep questioning the absurdity of it because we have two hours and 30 minutes to get through of that you know yeah yeah and then, and then it also becomes something where a lot of them, I guess, are taking advantage of it a little bit. Like when the uncle um, or Charles uh, starts to use the that young woman that he's uh, seeing um, as kind of a, oh, sure. a bait. Uh, like they're going to get married and so that they can get the estate, have an heir, all of that. Um, so, yeah, it's almost like I think... It's it's I think it's convenient for them a lot of the time. They're like, okay, well, we'll just try to take advantage of this... this uh, a schizophrenic man that thinks he's Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, but, well, but also can, obviously that they're we can annoyed. All agree that the the biggest ally is Tucker because Tucker is is he oh, he yes. doesn't doesn't like the upper classes, but he he knows an outsider when he sees one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean that's why I think it's funny because because like the the doctor is obviously the most like I guess aware of his actual situation and is kind of like you know it's a it's a it's a delusion of grandeur, um, but it, it it is you know for the most part it's kind of a harmless one. So we just kind of play into it a little bit and we'll figure out our way around it. Maybe we'll get him cured out of it, you know, at at at, at some point. I do like the detail that the doctor su- suggested it was triggered because you know you know you can't forget that you know he was rejected by his mother at the age of eleven. He was sent away alone into a primitive community of licensed bullies and pederasts. <laughs> he's like, you mean he went to public school? <laughs> he's like, yes. You know, so yeah. that is what, that is what triggered this seismic event. But the Butler is definitely the one who he's like, yeah, he's a nutcase, but you know, all of these rich knobs and privileged arseholes, you know, can't, can't afford to be bonkers. They're all living in a bit of a dream world, aren't they? Yeah. So, you know, whatever. Well, I think, uh, Tucker also like, uh, I think his, like his alliance with uh, Jack when he thinks he's God, but not just God, specifically the New Testament God is so pointed because New Testament God is like very groovy and love forward. And True. as the uncle calls him a bullshit. Like, so Tucker's basically like uh, of all of the personalities you could have manifested. I'm most down to clown for New Testament bullshit free love God. Like, absolutely. True. Um, Tucker's that guy who goes I mean, to party and was like, Jesus was a socialist, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that's the like one of the gags of this film. And uh, <laughs> to, to be later, bait and switched. But like, 
Um, <laughs> I mean, the larger joke of this film being that the the best version of Jack when he is the god of love earnestly, the way that you know Neo Baptist could only wish to be, is is incredibly inconvenient for upper class aristocratic British society. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. They would much no, rather like, have a psycho reactionary yeah, yeah. and they, he would yeah. fit a lot more in to their yeah. <laughs> to their plans yeah, and to their ideas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like, though, that they still they, they don't stray away from, you know, kind of the insanity of the situation and the, the the egotism that comes from it as well. Thinking you're Jesus Christ. Like, I think at one point after he does a I think it's one of the initial musical numbers um, where the help starts to break into the choreography with him for a short period of time. And then that same help, he's trying to force them into being like, call him their God and everything like that. And he's so aggressive about it that he eventually like runs them out of the mansion, essentially like down the incredibly long driveway that they have and everything. And they're just kind of yelling and screaming as they're running out of the house. Um, Yes, I do. I do love when he says in the year of me. I think that's very cute. Yeah, that's good. There's a lot of great so like eccentric says, behavior. Oh yeah, he's the driver of the gravy chain, choo choo. <laughs> oh so yeah, good. or just when they're doing like uh, when the family's kind of having um, dialogue about whatever. Usually it is about Peter O'Toole, but he'll just be in the background sometimes, just hanging on the cross, <laughs> like he's super comfy, just like that's where he belongs. It's, just uh, napping. Yeah, yeah everyone's why a character will walk into the room and be like, "Oh, oh there he is! What the <laughs> yeah, fuck?" Yeah. It is very funny to just see him like linger there in the background. Yeah, be, be, every because once in a while. most people are kind of just amused by it. It really is mm. Charles, his uncle, who was expecting to be the one to take over the estate because he's actually competent. He's actually like you know kind of like a a right-wing lord he's like Mm -hmm. i make more sense for this position than my insane son who wants to spread love and 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 hope yeah Uh, and and it's like cousin he's the one who really is sorry go ahead uh his cousin seems to um kind of uh like him eventually like uh, oh dimsdale yeah yeah i love dimsdale oh i will say dimsdale um his delivery unironically saying mummy all the time oh Oh, yeah amazing incredible his incredibly over-the-top posh british delivery is so good and it's it's just it it comes off like so proper and hoity-toity that it's just funny every single time he delivers anything. And he actually gets to the point where he's warning um, uh, Peter O'Toole about kind of the schemes that are that are coming his way. And of course, just because Peter won't listen, he's God. Um, it, that, and that kind of results in some funny things too. But yeah, he's, he's trying to help him at a certain point, you know. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Dimsdale for president. I love Dimsdale. <laughs> <laughs> he's very funny. But, but but the family is really bothered at the idea that the guy who's now in charge is very clearly a nut. They're like, he's a lunatic. He's fucking bonkers. He's out of his fucking mind. We don't care what well, his doctor says. So, you know, he's he's leftist. <laughs> like, oh, no. True. <laughs> but well, that is why he's bonkers. Right. That's the whole that's the whole, you know, the, the doctor, the doctor is saying, you know, you should just let him play this out because maybe he'll get a dose of reality, which I think he does quite literally mean that, like, you know, he'll see that in order to run an earldom, you, you can't be, you know, you can't be socialist Jesus. That doesn't really make much sense. Man. It's not really, you know, you're not, you're going to come up with some problems there. Mm-hmm. Um, but due to the fact that his father only ever kept him in private care, so there's no public records of this madness. 
you know, Charles needs to get him legally declared insane and incompetent and thus beginning the kind of ruling class power games and plots and schemes that we're going to kind of see throughout the film, right. uh, which you really wouldn't think would be that difficult. To, of a task considering <laughs> the amount of Peter O'Toole behavior that we're seeing on the screen. Oh yeah. Where like he's a, changing his name. All the, I like when he signs the one they, they go they're like, dude, just sign over all of your shit to me. And he just signs it. Mycroft Holmes. And they're just like, yep. You know, that's my, <laughs> that's my, I don't, I don't, I don't go by Jack. I go by God. I go by JC. I go by Bert. I go by Bernie, you know, when, you know, any of these various names. Um, one of my favorites is when he's trying to validate that he is, uh, God again and, and he's like well then perform a miracle and so he says that he's going to lift a table and he acts as if he does and no one you know uh, validates that except for Tucker the butler who's like I saw it that he was saw it yeah. <laughs> so it just it's like that one person that validates him so he can continue the delusion I thought that that was very funny I liked that scene a lot we yeah. love Tucker. I also like Tucker, Tucker when, yes, and did so good. When, yeah. when, when he asks Tucker to bring him the Earl's crown and like fur cape, and he just says, "Now burn it." Yeah, yeah. Or Tucker's uh, like, "I've been yeah. waiting to do this." <laughs> like, yeah. I also love that, like, when they introduce um, Marguerite, so that they can get this uh, this heir and hopefully the estate from from O'Toole. Um, they introduce her through this kind of like very you know, almost dreamlike theatrical opera number that she does. And they end up doing this cool a dance where the camera is kind of um, uh, panning from the ceiling and it's going through all these chandeliers as they're circling this empty dining hall. Uh, and it's kind of just getting into his performance aspect as Jesus Christ. And he's, he's viewing her as like the equivalent in a way, like someone that could yeah. uh, hold her own and, and kind of help him with this, this elaborate vision that he has. Well, because that's when I they do. decide they're actually going to start playing into the fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Because before that, mm -hmm. it's all him just disrupting the dry British power politic <laughs> right. with his absurdity. And they just have no idea how to handle Like, just he's dancing around in his white suit underneath his Jesus Christ outfit. Or <laughs> he's, he's crucifying. He's sleeping by crucifying himself on the wall in the living room. Or he's doing all of these insane things that they don't know. I, I do. Th 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 there's that one scene, too, where the younger cousin... Dinsdale um, invites those like wealthy old ladies over who want to have you know him speak but assuming that he's like a wealthy Earl who's just gonna a give guy. a reactionary <laughs> speech and he's gonna deliver all of his father's talking points at the local meeting about preserving Britain and you know and uh, and he freaks them out by saying that instead he'll preach about love and anti-nationalism you know just like Jesus did in ancient well, times I, oh, is that he, maybe the he starts chasing them around the property and shit right that's what I meant I think when I was mentioning the the musical number with the uh, with with the with the help it must have been those people because he chases them oh. out of the property I, yeah I do really love that recurring bit where uh, they keep calling attention to the fact that the psychologist the doctor is not English and just the recurring uh, yes. like is he English no oh <laughs> and, it's, and it's always like an extreme close up it's so good all these people have such milky white blue eyes it's so fucking funny <laughs> 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 yeah 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 so so also, so at a certain point Marguerite that like that that like uh new testament jesus fucks like like properly is also incredibly funny oh. like that, that he is <laughs> yes. the god of love in like every respect i think is a great bit <laughs> <laughs> definitely yes 
and, and that's just it is they realize that they need to start kind of playing into his actual fantasy because to get his inheritance, they got to get him married. They got to have make him have a not crazy son. I was trying to figure out the exact logistics of this. Like, were they going to wait until the son was like of age? I couldn't exactly figure but but they were basically but it is very funny that they're like we know we think that you should take a wife and he was like who from (laughs) (laughs) doesn't know exactly what what, what they mean married (laughs) oh my gosh and during the ceremony where he's like you know some roman catholics believe that i was married to uh the virgin mary and like the poor bishop i I need to get that annulled yeah We're, Ang- we're Anglicans. We don't care about that shit. <laughs> yes. And, and, I, and I like, too, that when we're introduced to Marguerite, because he's saying that he's already been married. Uh, and it is this, you know, as Jamie's putting this like big fantasy opera sequence. And it's you know full of it's like this lavish, like costume ball dance mm-hmm. sequence with Peter O'Toole singing the opera. And, and we and but it just jumps into it. It just looks like a full dream sequence. We don't know exactly what it is that's happening. And we don't find out until after that it was Charles actually who planned this and was manipulating this delusion by hiring his mistress, who is Miss Grace Shelley, played by Carolyn Seymour, and hiring her as an actress uh, because she's done everything from, uh, as she puts it, the stage to stripping. And <laughs> yeah. who he can control and dress up and, you know, pretend to be this sort of like fantasy wife um, of, of his and, you know, put on a first rate tr- show, his dreams made flesh i, do I would like, say it's one of the best like uh marriage ceremony scenes in film like I, I i i in my mind it's shelved in the library right next to um uh uh donald sutherland's sermon in little murders like it's just so insane um <laughs> and uh oh gosh what does he say oh yeah from the bottom of of my soul to the tip of my penis like i i do love great this line. woman like, like it's so that's going in my vows for sure. Um, I love, uh, <laughs> I love uh, also the setup that the um, that Marguerite has, where he's like uh, tricking a man into marrying you that thinks he's God, and she's like, "Oh, it happens all the time." <laughs> Thought that that was kind of yeah. slick, and I also like that. Um, it, you know, it, it presents her as this, it's its this operatic theatrical performance. She's in this beautiful white dress and everything. And then one of the first things that you actually hear her say when she's not playing that character for, for O'Toole is um, that she comes in and she's just like, I'm so, like, she's very proud of herself. But then she says something like, oh, this dress makes me feel constipated. Um, and it's just <laughs> such a, like... You know, it's just one of those things that feels counter to what you've already seen from her. And then you also have her and the the old, much older um, uncle, you know, kissing and, and talking about their relationship. And obviously the fact that he's able to, uh, well, I guess not even manipulate her. She seems pretty... Uh, <laughs> aware of well, what's going on she, and very she intelligent. She ends up genuinely like falling in love yeah, with him. Like I, I do, exactly. I do believe that Marguerite like does wind up falling in love with Jack. Like genuinely, she, yeah. Well, the the totally. simplicity of his love, his strolls through the gardens where he tweets like a bird, or that <laughs> moment when he refuses to kiss her in the garden because the last time that happened to him, it was Judas. That's right. very, what just what like woman strange times. <laughs> He has such a simple mind. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, the, the strange times joke is so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's so very funny. I also really love the like dramatic zoom away from Uncle Charles when he realizes they're consummating the marriage, where he's just like, damn. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. 
And, 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 and even though there is like so much like the family is kind of telling him that this is all kind of a ploy. It's all kind of a sham. Like the butler tells him at one point, it is very funny how much he just rejects the idea that anyone could be so cruel or, you know, like be so not loving in, in his mind. He's mm-hmm. like when when Tucker warns him, he's like, you know, this is this the pers- a persecution complex is the first sign of a paranoid schizophrenic. So get out of here with your profound negative Kremlin plots and into sir you know resist <laughs> it, is, it, it is because like, that way madness lies <laughs> it is like very adorable how whenever anyone like tries to like loop him in to the conspiracy he like uh his his true self jumps out and the way that he signals that is by putting on the most insane glasses of all time <laughs> like, <laughs> not be, like not because he's reading but because he's cold is which is my favorite yeah. line yeah. that he gives about it to <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> or coming into a consummated marriage and he's on a tricycle that's just a wonderful display yeah uh, i absolutely he's, loved that it's the only way to travel, I, he says. Jamie, Jamie I just like him notes. blessing. <laughs> that is, blessing I am for my wedding night. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you also have to bless the snotty-nosed giraffes and the Society of Women Engineers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, know, it, it's, 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 it's your wedding day. I love in the middle of, too, like when they're about to... Uh, um, like have sex, he he just goes like, God needs you. Come to me. <laughs> like he just can't help but just have that 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 God complex the whole time, even in the middle of like you know loving your wife. It's it's so funny hearing it over and over I, again. The, the fact that the movie also pauses to let her do her whole little strip routine as yeah. well in, in front of the camera is is very fun. Like the the way that it allows kind of other characters to briefly kind of like narrate what we're about to watch or pay attention yeah. to, like how much you pay attention to the bishop in the marriage sequence because we already know how offended he was at the idea of like the sanctity of the church being ruined by burying someone who had maybe had committed suicide and here he's like shakes and cries through the entire ceremony where it's like oh my god I'm marrying Jesus Christ to yeah. Charles's mistress and she's now going to be like you know whatever the she's going to be the first lady of the earldom of Gurney or whatever what's interesting about the way they transition these moments like because because her uh, her monologue has kind of a music and rhythm to it before does it not when she's explaining um, everything to the camera right before they have sex for the yeah marriage? it's like it's a uh, I don't know what you would call it but like it's backed by like a very yeah. upbeat jazzy kind of number and what's interesting is when they do these musical numbers a lot of the time there's not like a a, a transitional cut or anything that goes from like the you know the the, the kind of dreamscape of a musical number that it usually goes to. It's like in a musical, a lot of the time when they do a musical number, it's almost like this is a compact, almost um, dream that's outside of the logic of some of the rest of the film. Whereas this one, they constantly just have the musical number, but then within the same shot, have the rest of the characters like come in and start doing normal dialogue. And I found that to be interesting. It just, it feels like it's just one messy world all meshed together in a, in a way well, that's what tucker said tucker said the 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 rich and the wealthy and the aristocrats they live in a dream world yeah. where they can just Truth do whatever they want <laughs> that's yeah. right you know like like and, and and what's so funny is that like obviously you know you were you know this is all so absurd and it's all so ridiculous and you can't help but laugh at like the physical gags some of which are so ridiculous they almost feel like monty it's, python it's sketches ins- at mm-hmm. times it's insane mm-hmm. that like, like i never think of peter o'toole as being a physical actor because he's like 90 percent leg but the <laughs> amount of 
like his physical performance is nuts. Like like he yeah. when he's Jesus, he he looks really uncanny, and it's because he looks like a painted wooden crucifix like like yeah. of, of white of white jesus of like euro white jesus like he looks like a yeah, Raphael, he's even got the caked on makeup like, and everything too yeah he looks like that yeah, figurine well, his, his that your old like grandmother contoured has. to look yeah his face is like contoured to look like it was carved out of wood and mm-hmm. then when he later as we'll get to flips to jack the ripper um he's still pallid and flat and matte but it reads more like a corpse <laughs> than like yeah. than him being like wood animate you know yeah. um but yeah he and there's like some some group shots where it's just peter o'toole looking buck wild <laughs> next to everyone else <laughs> it's so there's, it's great i there was one I, specific physical shot um where they do a freeze frame. And I honestly thought, like, unless they had a mat laid down, Peter O'Toole was breaking an ankle or something like that. It, there's, I can't remember the context of it, but he's sitting on the cross and then he just jumps off of it and he gains like 30 feet up into the air. And then they do a freeze oh, frame did that. and cut that was, to the next. That was a re- <laughs> I think that was a real stunt. He did that Damn. one. And then he also did um, the horseback riding where he's like at a full gallop because he. Oh, okay, yeah. He like I think he kept horses or something and like really wanted to do a full gallop, um, but That's that man awesome. has hollow bones. I swear he's built like a bird. <laughs> like, I just when I saw that and they freeze framed it, I was like maybe he did hurt himself because they didn't show the landing <laughs> I mean, at all. <laughs> alcohol is a powerful drug. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> He just folds yeah. like an accordion and sprints that's, that's back up. That's what again. I was imagining <laughs> with that height. He gets air. It is wild. Yeah. Oh, one of my but favorite he does successfully jokes when they're they're because oh, this is ahead. when they're trying like the doctor is starting to uh, do some like tests on him and he does the inkblot tests and he's and he just keeps saying that everything reminds him of God because he can't help but think of himself and then he's just like okay okay well if God then if not God then what he's like an ink blot. <laughs> he just can't <laughs> think of anything else. That was a great dry joke. I loved. Yeah. Well, because at, at a certain point they, you know, they go, they, they've got him the wife. He has, a, he has a child on the way with her, but they, I guess are still growing in, impatient and they can't even wait for the child. And they're being like, we still need to, you know, the psychotherapist I think wants to keep trying to cure him of, of his delusion and puts him through a series of tests around, around the house. I loved the uh, lie detector test part because there's just one employee where he's just like, you know, he t- straps into the lie detector and they go, you know, uh, they, they ask if he's God, you know, and mm-hmm. he says no. And everyone's like, whoa, he said no. And but then the machine goes nuts and you just have one guy in the back go, by God, he's lying. <laughs> he, he is God. <laughs> and they try to do um, at one point madness exposure therapy as well by introducing him to a guy who refers to oh, himself so as the funny. high voltage messiah, oh, the yeah. electric what, Christ that, that is born from him. electroshock therapy who also <laughs> thinks he's god <laughs> oh my god well it's and what the, breaks him right because their their logic is like if you're god you wouldn't be able to make if it you're make god sense who's this also be in the room with god. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, but, but more specifically like the reason why i think he loses that fight apart from i think like in the schizophrenia off the other guy is like wild <laughs> like Dude, he's chomping like, on like his wine glass until he bleeds you know he's yeah well, he's the electric messiah <laughs> like, it's, it's so like that's just what Peter he does <laughs> yeah i love well, that Peter it just tools like new testament god so he's like 
like, he's not capable of contending with the other guy who is Old Testament God, which is like how he introduces himself. Yeah. Um, like I, th- I think it's such a like checkmate because I, th- I, I, I'm sure that that it's crunchy that he is specifically New Testament God and like leftist whatever bullshit new testament god and then to to bring old testament god into the room such as he is is like such a good fucking like mic drop i don't know so good and then to equal out the it's just the battle of delusions at that point and because the guy is so convincingly you know the electric messiah um o'toole's jesus christ (laughs) just gives into it so they start to like you know he's acting as if he has these lightning dark force powers essentially and um, i'll burn you to a crispy noodle laddie (laughs) (laughs) and and o'toole is like fighting it at first but then the image actually appears as if the lightning is coming out of his hands and o'toole is getting he's vaulting him to death while a gorilla in a top hat comes in and picks him up and like curls him down the stairs what a a little bit That was, it was already, that's the, I gotta say, it was already just chaotic and absurd enough where you have the electric messiah and lightning's going off and they're having a battle of the schizos and stuff. And then all of a sudden you also have a fucking gorilla with a top hat and a tuxedo just wrestling a tool. It's just, oh my God. They even have an amazing shot before they, they, you never see this gorilla again, where it kind of just turns to a tool in the doorway as well. And then it cuts away. It's, it was, it was magical. I will say that. <laughs> yeah and and all but they it is, successfully but it is what do breaks it, right well it, <laughs> it, it, is. it, well, break, yeah, it, it breaks him down break and like leaves the door open a crack like like and because the door gets left open a crack something comes in yep. yeah it, yep. it, but, it's uh, but that's what's so <laughs> <laughs> it, it is what's really funny about the whole thing is they go well, we, well we've cured him and all they cure him of is believing in a world of love and at one point the guy like the psychotherapist literally goes this world fucking sucks dude uh, look at all this yeah. fight. he just starts bringing out like all this horrible shit and making him question his identity and finally revert back into Jack. As we know, he violently rejects his real name, only calls himself Jesus. And so, you know, the psychotherapist goes, if he ever chooses to go by Jack, then you'll know that he's on the road back to insanity. And, you know, he is going, my name's Jack. I'm Jack, you know, hallelujah, you know, and uh, he's a bit more normal in appearance, but he seems a little, little unstable and they can't figure out exactly why you know charles well, kind of gets fed up this, and like oh sorry oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh i was just gonna no, say go like I, I i do love how like i you know watching it knowing that i pitched this as a jack the ripper double bill whatever but like if if you watch it not knowing um the slow like 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 just off off comments of like yeah he keeps bringing all this victorian shit down from the attic and like yeah. suddenly, <laughs> suddenly there's all these like victorian he's a shotgun around or whatever. and like and like ferns like it's like he suddenly turned the mansion into this like victorian place he's wearing top hats and capes and you're like hmm like the movie doesn't come out right away and say what's happened which i think is really cool like i i do think a lot of people find this movie because of the last 20 minutes or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. But, but I do really appreciate like, if you can forget that, you know, that how, how um, kind of um, without calling it what it is, the film slowly lets him be Jack the Ripper. And I think that's cool. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, and and because part of the critique that's obviously happening here is, or part of the sort of satire, I guess, that's happening here is that he does, he seems a little strange, but he does fit more in with the family as Jack the Ripper. And so that's why they don't reveal it to you right away. It is, it's a a very good joke. And, but it, but it really does start as like, you know, he recalls his old school days and with, with the guy who's checking on if he's insane or not. And that, you know, they they both went to the same uh, uh, public school and, you know, which is, you know, the schools are just as much a weapon to the wealthy as like the churches. And so when he starts doing all of his like reactionary sort of patriotism, he's ranting against anarchy and homosexuality. You know, he's deemed back to being a perfectly normal Lord. You know, it's it's this is just fine. This is just bit. how you know, this is Jack. <laughs> this is just Jack. This is who Jack is. And, you know, the fact that he is, you know, well, even when, he, essentially when are happening ranting. around him, they're like, that's normal for upper class, like just a normal upper class scandal. Like, thankfully, he's not communist. (laughs) 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 Yep. So a psycho serial killer and a wealthy Brit, they're just they're the same thing. This is a a Venn diagram. This is a circle uh, situation. Like, it's Um, very, very incisive class commentary, actually. (laughs) Yeah, but but I, I do love that it's like not like they as a result, it takes you kind of a minute to be like, oh, yeah, he is just kind of normal. He's just blending back in. And it's as soon as he's alone when he's like, this is 1888, isn't it? I will say say there is there is one sure sign when the all the family walks in and he's just holding a gun that is just pointing it all at them and then shoots an empty at a. Adam, the the doctor, doctor, I think it is. I'm like, okay, there's no dude. That's just Lord behavior. (laughs) Come on, man. True. They're out hunting the next day. You're right. He's just practicing. I agree. Yeah, no, there's there's <laughs> nothing peculiar peculiar about that. You know, it, it's it's when he starts being like, I'm Jack from hell. I, <laughs> I, you know, you know, I'm I'm not the good shepherd or the prince of peace, you know, and, and, and he does start doing an entire like public campaign of and his platform is just uh, fear. Yeah. Um, He's just yeah. like, you know what? We should we should hang more people. More people should be afraid of the state Bring back killing them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he sings a song briefly about disconnecting bones. <laughs> people are like, what but a everyone's guy. Everyone's like, yeah, great idea. <laughs> all of a sudden, his aunt is incestuously attracted to him. She's like, I wonder what this is all about. <laughs> Oh man, though. So her being attracted to him obviously triggers the Jack the Ripper impulse to kill anyone that makes you horny, and so he kills her, leading to my favorite joke in this movie, which is the butler coming across her dead body, and you think it's going to be like a normal finding a body reaction, but he just screams, One less! (laughs) It's just one less of these assholes! Oh my god, it gets me every time. It's so fucking funny. I, I like all the moments, too, when he's, you know, she's, uh, you know, becoming attracted to him because, you know, not knowing it that he's just it's because he's more of a cutthroat monster in a nice, nice suit now. But he also starts like talking dirty to her and he's just being like, like very sensually. He's like gangrene. Guts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, flesh, you know, just the filthiest shit. Bloody membrane, tender flay, just going on. She's like, I don't really know if this is like, you know, whatever, you know, take me, Jack, make me immortal. He just (laughs) guts her in the street. (laughs) Yeah. And I have to say, too, the um, that transition from like walking from the room into the street is really, really cool. 
I thought that that was awesome. Yeah. And then when they start to do like this, after he stabs her, it becomes you his know, fantasy of like being on the cobblestones, mm-hmm. being magically like transported to Jack the Ripper time when actually he's just like killing, knifing his aunt in like the living room or the bedroom. Yeah. Or and they start oh, yeah, doing no, re- these... reality just starts fully falling apart at this point in terms of like even camera logic. Like we'll get mm-hmm. to the final scene, but like even Which you know 180 rules are just like. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's all gone. <laughs> like, yeah, it's properly disorienting just because you're you're getting in that mindset of him being completely unaware of where he really is. And I think they did a great just job. Just teleporting that through time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think good. to be honest, out of all of the kind of the transitions between what they're doing with the musical numbers and other things in the first, I guess, two hours of the film, I felt like when they were doing these horror transitions, they were probably the smoothest of the bunch. Um, I thought they were genuinely impressive. Yeah, I do feel like this film lulls you into, like, not a false sense of security, because I would not call the first part of this movie <laughs> secure, but but I do think, like, it it tricks a you into a certain, a certain kind of logic, and mm-hmm. then it does it, it does it for long enough that when it does ramp up, you're like, You've been held hostage for long enough that you're down. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and they haven't introduced so like, this I know, kind I, of. I know it's it's kind of long, but but I do think it's for a reason. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I will say like I think they you know to be two hours into this and they are still introducing kind of new uh, kind of styles in a way I think is very impressive and it, it does make you your brain reset a little bit from what you've been previously watching for the first like hour and 45 because the the last 30 minutes 45 minutes does feel like a a, a true part two it does feel like a, a true transition into something else well yeah because we've almost, been enjoying almost, we've almost actually like been having be a, an intermission or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, and we've been having fun with like the fact that Tucker and Jesus Christ are just kind of making fun of these rich people and using all of this power to just like spread love and you know it's like it's a very funny idea that you're just like oh this is this is all all of the things that are silly and delusional about the film and about the character are as a psychotherapist like kind of argues at the beginning they're, they're all harmless they're all just fun and then they really quickly stop being harmless mm-hmm. that you're like oh you know he's kind of he's like jack the ripper you know haha and then oh no he's like jack the ripper <laughs> and, uh, <Yeah>. you know <laughs> it, you know and and all of a sudden people are our bodies are turning up and uh, you know the, one of the most painful parts is when he betrays tucker and and he I frames know, him for boy, the murder of, of the boy. aunt because and and reveals his communist past and is like you know and, and at one point he even says you know you sold sold me down the river just like the rest of them you know and he's very upset the idea that you know jack was so much better as jesus christ and he was such a sweet boy and he you know who cared that he was living in a dream it is very funny that one of the reasons that they also think that it's the butler um besides jack kind of setting up wrong place wrong time is that he's literally doing a drunken like hokey pokey dance around the ants it's very very funny oh my god i think the detectives even mentioned that they're like he was doing the hokey pokey around the body or something like that um and that that really got me Yeah, Poor he Tucker. also causes his uncle Charles to have a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, 
and 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 it's just yeah, again it's it's it, the obvious point being made is that they have overtly cured him by just like making him a much worse person yeah making him a more greedy impulsive um psychopath and even the cops love him you know <laughs> right. they're like it's been a pleasure meeting you you know my lord what a what a great time we've all had at your place of murder and they um, still do find a, a couple ways of giving that like that physical comedy aspect like when they do the the cane sword fight between him and the doctor oh my God. and they it's go so from good. like oh yes. it's great they go from the living room to the very top of the the roof balcony at the center of the mansion right back down to the living room again and they're continuing dialogue as they're doing it, it it's it's really funny the way that they transition such a long distance um, but with like the same conversation going on, it, it's it's very comedic. Yeah, and, and the and the doctor comes to the realization, you know, I'm unpleasant as he is, he is technically just normal for an upper class figure now. <laughs> yeah. This is just this is just a normal rich guy eccentricity now that he's a fucking crazy murderer man, <laughs> right, you know. Yeah. And then you just have Peter O'Toole just gurgling and screaming into the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Of course, leading to the great final image of the film, which I think is spectacular, which is him assuming his place at the House of Lords uh, that his father used to have while all the old members of the family are either like now like abused or they're institutionalized. And he just delivers this insane and evil speech that everyone applauds because unlike his message of love as Christ that everyone rejected and was like, you're a delusional crazy man. When he goes up there and he says that he's going to cure immorality and anarchy in the country by, uh, bringing back tortures and hanging and treating all criminals like animals everyone is just like wow yeah this guy this is uh speaking some powerful words here yeah and i I love too that he's like i was worried to stand up here my lords but you know i've realized listening to you this is where i belong you know Mm. i will teach you how to be strong such a bad job at punishing the country so here i am yep there's no love without fear I love it's still like it's just a a different version of love at this point. He's like, we'll find that love. But the love is manipulation and power. (laughs) Yes. But the the, the button of the film of them singing uh, Onward Christian Soldiers is so rich with irony. (laughs) Yes. While it's doing all that incredible cross cutting to the Lords as like dusty, like cobwebby corpses Mm -hmm. instead, like he's literally creating like this like. Yeah, this like land of death that he's about to rule over now. Uh, but yeah, but the, the, the production design and the shots are just amazing yeah. of just like all the lords and all their little fucking crowns and they're all applauding <laughs> and singing and then it'll just cut to a bunch of them are skeletons or zombies and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's and, and it just, no one acknowledges it. It just flatly is those images. No, and, and like all logic is just out the window. Like, it, like I said, breaking 180 degree rules, just like it's so disorienting mm-hmm. and yep. Uh, dreamy yeah it's it's I mean nightmarish obviously but um but yeah it's very very good yeah this is what Meg dreams about <laughs> yeah obviously <laughs> and then the uh the heir his new son has the same okay, delusion I'm Jack yep I'm Jack yeah and, about to kill. And, and that great like dreamy moment where it goes from all of these skeletons and corpses singing onward Christian soldiers at this like new world Jack the Ripper order they're about to install <laughs> in Britain. 
And then you do actually have the wife who fell in love with him as Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and has a son for him and comes and actually sings a declaration of her love to him in like a void. And he just snuffs it out, just stabs her in the gut and it instantly cuts like all the audio out and she just dies. And then it's her screams over the manor as the baby, the baby Jack is being like, I- I'm also Jack, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm Jack too. Jack's back, as Meg would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Transition. There's, there's two and then of them. You, you crossfade <laughs> the two films together. <laughs> Bam! Now he's been unleashed. And yeah, this is this is James uh, Spader was born. This is Peter Peter O'Toole's yeah. son. Well, and th- and that baby, that Makes baby grew up to be James Spader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is that is a, a it, it is a pretty shocking and pretty incredible image to kind of end the film on. It's wild. Um, yeah. and Can you imagine walking out of the fucking theater after that? <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck did I, I just did. watch? I mean, that's pretty much my reaction that I had after watching it at home uh, in 2024. <laughs> so good Lord. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I thought it was I thought it was quite good. If we're pivoting mm-hmm. towards the reductive rating around this, this definitely landed in, in, in the four territory. I was a little bit unsure early on just because there's there is a certain amount of dry, stagey Britishness that I just have a kind of a, a natural mm-hmm. allergy to at times. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, and and so there was there was part of me that I was like, I see the sort of the comic, the darkly comic ideas. I see how dryly absurd of a and, and the satirical points that it's making. Um, and there was just part of me that I was like, I don't know how if I could do this for two and a half hours. But luckily, the film actually <laughs> does change modes quite frequently that any time you're like, I feel like the scene's been going on a little long it it'll jump into a musical number or it will jump into an insane montage of them doing you know the, the you know the mental illness tests on him and peter o'toole's physical performance is constantly shifting throughout the entire film and really does sell the kind of you know descent into madness that the the film is all about and yeah and and at a, at a certain point you know it it does eventually you know, translate its satire of British aristocracy and power games and the lunacy and psychopathy that's inherent to, you know, kind of being a more successful or a more uh, fitting member of it. Um, But uh, it, uh, you know, the result is that, you know, you, you need to be Jack the Ripper and you need to be evil incarnate. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it is it, it does land those ironies quite well, like the fact yeah. that it does start in this like harmless eccentricity and it really is like a comedy of manners and there is almost like some Monty Python silliness to it. And then it does just go look at how ill fitting this like hippie uh, leftist Jesus is in this, you know, uh, milieu. And all of these characters reject him so violently and so horribly. Um, And then it's just like he blends in perfectly as Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. And like, obviously, the point that it's making is very obvious. um, But it's brilliantly kind of like staged and maneuvered into the film, especially to Meg's point about that. It doesn't make the Jack, Jack the Ripper thing actually clear until like 20 minutes after it's already been doing it. You're just going, Oh yeah, he's just Jack. He's just a great, just he's a just Lord a great uh, Earl and Lord now. And, uh, 
and yeah, it's like, yeah, and it's for a reason. And uh, the fact that it ends up building to these really, really successful horror images through that, um, it, it, it does eventually land its sort of sardonic political symbolism as physical humor and then horror quite well. And so I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Medak that despite the early sort of staginess of it and the fact that this was literally a stage play, he does get to some pretty cinematic images and, and ideas at a certain point. And uh, yeah, other than that, great cast. Yeah. Whole uh, the whole bench. I enjoyed them all. <laughs> Alistair Sim as as the bishop is, was probably one of the, the MVPs other than obviously O'Toole, who is just you can't. I mean, he's he's the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> how, many, yeah. how much weight do you think he lost doing this movie? Like it, it looks like an athletic feat. <laughs> like, <laughs> it does. He is running around that giant living room quite often. His um, fucking gazelle legs. Yeah. Also, also, what was the wig budget? It's like, uh, zero what dollars. <laughs> zero dollars. Yeah, that wig is so bad. This film has the worst fucking wigs I've ever seen, it's which so honestly funny. is like, if if you needed another reason to watch this movie, it has the worst wigs. <laughs> it is, so it almost seems like kind of part of it that there, that his wig is so uncanny um, in a way. Yes. It, it's so... Yes, it does look like a wig you would put on a statue. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so I think I think right now I'm I'm in the like very very strong three territory. I really did like it. I just uh, while I was watching it, it was hard for me to totally get on its wavelength because of a lot of the um, very harsh transitions. Uh, speaking to you guys about it, it made me realize how funny it really is. I think I spent a lot of time taking in the jokes, kind of thinking, that's very funny. But then all of the chaos of the film <laughs> itself would stop me from really engaging with it sometimes or, or just letting myself laugh because I'm also figuring out exactly what they're doing stylistically and all these, like I said, trans, uh, strange transitions and, and all of that. But I mean, the, the performances are unbelievable. Peter O'Toole is just firing on all cylinders. This guy is, you know, he goes from the delusional, very comedic Jesus Christ to kind of a, a very scary figure as Jack the Ripper. Um, I think the film in that transitional period is fantastic. Uh, once it hits the the kind of more the horror stuff, um, still mixed with some of the the comedy and the physical gags. I think it um, it it really really shines. Um, and it's not like Medak has a lot to do here. He he has a lot to juggle. So I'm by no means like taking anything away from him. I think he did have quite a good um, uh, hold on this film. But um, I think I just need another another go. This is a lot to take on. Uh, um, just on a narrative level and and on a stylistic level. So, um, but I really did enjoy it, and I think it is very, very, very funny. Um, so, yeah, a strong, strong three for now. For you, Meg. Uh, is it out of five? <laughs> yes. If you want. Uh, Man, four point, four point five. Four, four Holy point, crap. Four point Holy five. Crap. <laughs> uh, Third time returning guest. No, no, no. Listen. <laughs> Uh, uh, 4.5. Um, uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, it is chaotic in the ways that I like it, it. It like is playing in the same chaos space as something like Tommy, where it just like mm. holds your hand and is like, listen, <laughs> good reference gonna, point. That is a good reference there, point. There, there's going to be some musical numbers and you're just going to deal with it. Sorry. <laughs> like, that's the <laughs> yeah. vibe. Um, 
Uh, doesn't quite have that Ken Russell hysteria, but that's not really a fair comparison point to anyone. Not Few much movies Ken do. Russell. Few movies do. Yeah. Although costumes um, in this film are done by the uh, the woman who did uh, Crimes of Passion as well. Correct, I remember looking correct. that up. R- 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 Ruth Myers, queen. Yeah, uh, absolute queen. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's got enough chaos for those of us that enjoy that um, like specific, almost like panto level of chaos, but it also has like very incisive, dense, dry British dialogue humor, mm-hmm. which I'll admit I go for. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I like as as long as that is as it is. I have watched this movie so many times, and I like it. Just cracks me up. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's a great time. If it if it scratches the itch for you, uh, you're gonna have a great time. Uh, if you've ever thought of Peter O'Toole as being like a geriatric like scarecrow, uh, watch this movie. It turns out he's an athlete. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I always end up smiling. If you really want to watch rich watch people hang themselves in tutus and yep. that's all I want to watch. Get- that's all I want to watch. <laughs> it does kind of also um, remind yeah. me just on this in the sense of. Um, it's like all these really great character actors doing a bunch of playing a bunch of delusional characters in like one room uh, or, or one at least big space. Um, the Ninth Configuration by Blatty. Yes. Kind of reminded yes. me of that a little bit too. So <laughs> Also the with George, uh, the Jesus George on C. the Scott Moon. Of it all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, true. And the George C. Scott. There it is. He's back. Hell yeah. <laughs> He's yeah back. So that's what this could have needed. That would have got Jamie that star bump. If George, <laughs> yeah, George C. Scott just showed up for a couple scenes and reacted to Peter O'Toole. <laughs> yeah, that he should have been the electric messiah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that scene would have been insane. Not, uh, to, who played the Electric Messiah though? Because I have to say, he was uh, I, awesome. I, I, he's in. Um, I actually tried looking him in the credits, and I don't know that they actually called him the Electric Messiah in uh, the credits. No, right no, now, so he, I can't he, find who it was. He's a Toastmaster. He's in, um, no, he's in. Um, here, just give me one second. Um, uh, he has a sad story. He died like a like not long after this film came out, and I think oh, they well, ended up oh, redubbing no. his di- They redubbed his dialogue. He was like, oh. like there's a lot of his name is Nigel Green. Um, he was in the Mask of the Red oh. Death. He was also in Zulu. He was in Jason and the Argonauts. Like he's very prolific. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, no, he he rules. Uh, dearly departed, R.A.P. Yeah, um, he was great. Yeah. Also, like, uh, because this is a British film, you can't like throw a rock without hitting like a movie that everyone in this movie has been in. Like, uh, what what's the movie that has like a crazy hit hit rate for the amount of people in it? It's uh, uh, oh, Theater of Blood, the the Vincent Price movie. <laughs> There's like oh, yes. four four people attached to this movie are also in Theater of Blood. <laughs> like, oh, nice. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. I uh, like weirdly, this is a comfort movie for me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's a yeah. good time. Uh, yeah, she likes the idea of uh, Britain unwittingly accepting the delusional rantings of a notorious serial killer and being like, "This is great policy." This is great <laughs> they frequently do that. Right? <laughs> great. They My do. favorite documentary, The Ruling What a class. world! Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forfend. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a little bit more theatrical about it, you know. Yeah, you know, it's they, great. Which, more more the, musical the, numbers, the more breaking out into song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if that if that sounds uh, your speed, we could definitely recommend checking out The Ruling Class, which is not yet on Criterion, uh, but I think they have the rights to. So at some point, maybe yeah, we'll see. TikTok yeah. boys. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's apparently on the Criterion channel uh, pops up every so often. So there is a there is a, a rip of it. I think it's on Tubi as well in Canada right now, strangely enough. It's on the, Tubi the and streaming Plex service. In yeah, it really is. 
Yeah, which yeah. is uh, a good a good way to watch the ruling classes with ad breaks, just to really uh, <laughs> yeah, it might be just give, you, give yourself thirty <laughs> seconds to kind of think about what you just watched, and then go to the next uh, twenty minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, that, I think, is going to wrap it up for the ruling class. We're going to be right back in talking about more Jack the Ripper action, but Jack the Ripper versus James Spader uh, times two. Uh, we're going to be back <laughs> talking Jack's back. My brother didn't kill anybody. That an entire city was paralyzed in fear. Now, 100 years later to the day... The Ripper has returned. Jack's back. All right, we are back and we are talking. Jack's back. Jack is also back. He's here with us. (laughs) That's right. We're talking the 1988 American serial killer, neo-noir thriller Giallo, according to Meg. We'll hear this argument out. Written and directed by first-time writer-director Rowdy Harrington, starring That's how you James know it's Spader, good. <laughs> Cynthia <laughs> Gibb, Jim Haney, and Robert Picardo. This is, this is actually our first time talking about Rowdy Harrington on this show uh, as yeah. well, though we will definitely be doing his huge sophomore film that came out only one year later in 1989, Roadhouse, later this year, whenever they're not, not Jack's Can't back wait. again. <laughs> no, we're going to do this when, once whenever, a year. When, <laughs> Jack's backer? Whenever that crappy Jake Gyllenhaal, Doug Lyman version of Roadhouse comes out later in the year, we will be talking about yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roadhouse, which is a movie I do love for all of its macho <laughs> 80s melodrama Me sincerity too. that uh, takes the world of bar bouncing to like Hong Kong action degrees of just absurdity. Yeah, um, it's magical. But before making that film I guess he was like a best boy and a gaffer on a bunch of 1980s movie sets including things like Repo Man and the original Nightmare on Elm Street and he met the right contacts to get his first script about a modern Jack the Ripper copycat serial killer sold uh, which I, I guess he pitched as like a cash in on the 100 year anniversary oh. <laughs> based on the tagline of the film yeah. where it was like 100 years ago in the city of London in the East End slum of uh, Whitechapel <laughs> a man shocked the world by murdering raping and mutilating five women he was never caught and then it's just a giant image of James Spader sweating yeah. which I think kind of sells the wrong impression about the movie. I swear, like, I've seen this, and I think the the week before when we were just kind of letting people know we were going to do it, I called James Spader Jack just because I remembered the title poster, and it's like, it it just heavily implies that he's going to be the killer. They Um, sell it that way, you know? It's it's such a weird, which is also a funny thing to do because, like, this is pre-erotic weirdo screen legend James Spader. Mm -hmm. Like, before he rebranded off of, like, Sex, Lies, and Videotape and Crash and went into things like secretary you know this is around the time he was more known for being like you know in teen movies or coming of age movies mm-hmm. like tough turf or mannequin or pretty in pink or less are than you zero. saying he wasn't a sex symbol in mannequin the actual sweatiest <laughs> movie that james spader's ever been in <laughs> well you know n- n- not as much of like a uh james sex Spader's criminal like went to the, went to the touch in that film <laughs> 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 You know, he he became a little bit more obsessive and dark in his sexual screen presence, but he was certainly, you know, uh, a uh, sexy man. Uh, you know, he was he was he, 
was a, he was a, he was an attractive guy. Oh yeah, and you my know, he's, favorite he's lesbian, got, he's, James Spader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do love that. And, but but it's, people people have been making a meme about uh, Barry Keegan and uh, at the Globes being like he's every letter in LGBTQ, and I'm like James Spader walked so you could run, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but it, it, it is strange. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Meg is gonna she's gonna double down she's gonna triple down on this one yeah Jamie and I well, unfortunately well, just can't help back. you I, we can't okay. we, we can't make we, we, we can't help you out we can't be allies on 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 this other than the fact that you do for anyone who is interested in James Bader which is a lot of people from all parts of the sexual spectrum <laughs> uh, you do get many different sides of James Bader in this which is wonderful yes yeah, there's a James Bader for everyone <laughs> but he's, what I love is yeah. that he's always always charming no matter what, like even even when yeah. he's got the, uh, the when he's going, you know, in this the kind of not even second half, but like the, the second, I guess, like two thirds or whatever. It um even when he's doing the kind of dark brooding, I'm emotional, I'm sad. Uh, he still has the charm, and he's still kind of easily wooing the ladies and everything like that. He just he can't help it, man. Natural. He's a natural. Yeah, and in and in the same year that Jeremy Irons did Cronenberg's Dead Ringers as oh. well, James Bader was like, you know, I can I can I can pull this shit off too. I can be the sweet dorky doctor in L.A. who gets caught up and suspected in this murderous Jack the Ripper mystery, but I can also be the identical twin brother who is the sexy leather jacket chain smoking badass one who arrives uh, in town to clear his brother's name. But it is, I will say, it's really weird that. For, for all Meg's pitching, this is really not that much of a Jack the Ripper film. Um, anytime I've told people about it, instantly they're like, oh, cool, James Spader as like Jack the Ripper. And then I, when I say it's a twins thing, they're like, oh, cool, James Spader as like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type thing. I'm like, it's really not that movie. Like the murder mystery is a subplot in a noirish melodrama movie about a brother with a psychic relationship to his twin brother who accidentally gets murdered yeah. by, spoiler alert, a guy who is not not even Jack the Ripper, well, which I can't wait to Jack. talk about. <laughs> <We're just> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, so it this, is, movie, this movie has something for everyone, namely two James Spaders <laughs> and yes. also a Jack the Ripper vague plot motif. It's fine. I, I, think okay. for, I think for me what makes me, like I find this movie to be a very um, strangely comfortable sit because of its mood like the way that it has like for instance the very beginning when it's the woman running along the alleyway and they're playing like an actual 80s up kind of upbeat pop song and there's all the fog it looks like a music video honestly um and then as the movie continues it has that same kind of uh tempo i would say and then it adds like the the saxophone, like we were mentioning earlier in the episode, and the and the kind of light uh, dark synth that's in the background of everything. Um, so I just found this movie very easy to to watch and just kind of vibe with, even though some of the um, I, I don't know, some of the 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 narrative gets a little strange just in the way that it delivers just in the way that it delivers all this information how it's delivering the murder mystery the the relationship between Spader and Spader uh, um, the, the way that it has this the, one of the strangest red herrings that I've ever seen in a movie too which we'll get to um, uh, but, but I, one of the greatest I, I, and I the funniest the red herrings I think the biggest brain yes. red herring of all to time yeah, see totally. all of this all, all of these quote unquote flaws are why I think <laughs> yeah. number one it's good number two yeah. why I think why I think it's more of a Jalo than a neo noir because, and I say this mm. with love. 
I think if it were smarter, it would be a neo-noir, but it's not. So <laughs> <laughs> I that's see. My, that's, that's the large picture of my argument that we will get into later. I do. I will say, I, for, for as messy as I think that this movie can be, I actually do really enjoy it. And it is... Um, yes! Yeah, like I, it, it's, it's It's by far... It, I never even thought about, you know, I don't like this thing. It's just that I find it to not be the, the tightest made film of all time that's all you know there's Must which is, which is you know, narrative <laughs> things. that's that's not something that we necessarily need on no. the show as we've talked about absolutely many many times i will say i do like the very basic idea of the script which is linking jack the ripper uh, as one cop says in the movie the grandfather of the sex crime. Uh, the, the idea of taking that and being like, well, what's like a sex crime like now? Make it like an 80s sex crime. Make it a movie that stars James Spader. Yeah. You know, like, there you go. It and, is the and, logical and it, and conclusion it, of a movie about sex crime. You're like, okay, get James Spader on the phone. I guess make there be two of him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and 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 for me, the reason I jumped to uh, like 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 neo noir was just because you know Manhunter came out only a couple years earlier. We'll talk about it at one point. James Spader literally does the jumping through glass while yes. a rock song is playing to get the villain, which is if that's not a reference to Manhunter, then it's a very happy coincidence that they did <laughs> the exact same thing. But also just doing like you know if that's your reference point, it makes sense. It's also doing like this very sort of synthy like neon kind of like voyeur thriller like the style is there the style totally. and you know Harrington really nice. is what kind of sells uh, me on on this movie and I mean I I, I even looked at because like Ebert had one of the few like very positive reviews for this movie when it came out sometimes he's right sometimes he is and, and, you want to know why it's because he's a fucking horn dog if your movie's horny it's like at least a three out of four from from Ebert. Except for the Devils. I Except mean, for the Devils, which is his oh, one. That, oh, yeah. wow. I, yeah. well, because I mean, that that's kind bullshit. of punishing you for being horny, though. A little <laughs> yeah, bit. Exactly. Um, he doesn't want to feel yeah, any yeah. guilt for being horny. He's like, fuck this film. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, we did mention with Meg the first time we ever had her on the show that the opening line of his uh, uh, review for Disclosure was uh, complimenting Demi Moore on her wonder bra. Yeah. Um, He's a horn dog. But That's his thing. It, oh, it's right. Him. But but his last line of his review for this one was, I think, what kind of made sense you for the movie about, for me, which is uh, that James Spader's bra. <laughs> not quite. But he said, it's not a great movie, but hold on. There's more to this. Uh, but it's the kind of film that makes you curious what Harrington is going to do next. Yeah. Um, in the sense that hey. you look at it and you're like, this is enjoyably stylized and there's something to this. And he gives it, you know, a, a, you know, some dark and brooding mood to it at times. There's still some dirtiness to it. There is some attention paid to, you know, sort of character personality personality like the you know even if the scenes are you know written a little funny at times like James Spader has chemistry with just about every single person he ends up uh, sharing a scene with Mm -hmm. as both characters and that helps a movie a lot it gets you through it you know yeah you know what if your movie's not good consider putting two James Spaders in (laughs) like yeah exactly it's It's, easy fix easy fix yeah and Ebert said it was like uh he called let Meg into your writer's room people that's what would come out the other yeah. Side. yeah, he called exactly. him a young I, actor I mean, I, who I, I believe has as much promise as anyone of his generation. So he definitely 
he saw this and was Called like, it. Spader is a star for sure. And, and I think that, that guy that totally checks out when you watch this. I mean, I like, and it's fun too to watch him do the um, the first like twenty minutes is him doing kind of a nerdy, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of a nerdy character, but it, he cannot help but have that that charm and that wit and just that. Um, he's he's just he's so likable. It's unbelievable to be honest. Um, and even so, he still has like you know some of his 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 um, his colleague uh, Chris. Uh, she's really into him, and she's already got. It seems like she already has a boyfriend, but it still shows that well, she. Well, it has, doesn't matter because James Spader. Exactly, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. He's got that Hawaiian James shirt. James Spader on. is the world's boyfriend. In a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he just he's a fantastic leading man. Yeah, he, yeah, he also we, exists and, and in a world twice. It's like I'm not. I'm going to keep hammering on home on this point that this is <laughs> like like if you are a James Spader fan, yeah. there's two of him here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it is it it is a weird one to pitch as because this is I felt similarly make to the, when you were bringing up the fact that like if y- it might actually benefit you to not know that the ruling class is the Jack the Ripper movie. Sure, I well, actually the first think time, that you might. The first time I watched this, we did not know there were two James Spaders in it. So like the oh, reveal, okay. of, well, so like whatever we're gonna get there. When James yeah. Spader one departs the film, very upsetting, incredibly upsetting. Yeah, but but, but that's what I think is is kind of interesting but then about James like the first Spader like two comes in. You're like, oh my god! <laughs> you're like, what like, the fuck? How is there a second one? What the hell? It's very, you know? it's very <laughs> so big like WWE like extra person <laughs> entering the ring energy where you're just like, oh my god. The, the glass shatters <laughs> and he just comes out in his entrance. Or like the Undertaker gong sounds. And we're like, yeah! Yeah, when he wakes up sweating from the nightmare, that's the gong yes. sound. Absolutely. Yes. We're like, all right, we're yeah, not out of James Spader yet, baby. Yeah, exactly. it, 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 it is a very like great little setup because like the introduction is obviously that woman running through the fog drenched alley and the camera like sneaking up behind her and like lunging at her mm-hmm. as like the 80s kind of like pop rock kind of uh, kicks in. But it's our introduction to the fact that there is, you know, there is a serial killer celebrating the 100th anniversary of Jack the Ripper <laughs> by copying his surgical sex crime tactics and, you know, finding precise victims and days times and kind of matching them and everything like that He's and it's a spree being investigated in the background of the film by an well, LAPD sergeant. the spree is sergeant. also like over. Like the spree has happened. Like like the, there's one murder left. Like, we, like There's one this, left, yeah. If, if, the, if this were a, a New York Ripper situation we would watch every single murder like just randomly as it would happen but in this movie all the murders have happened. There's just one left. Yeah. Yes. That is and, kind of the first clue it, that you're going to spend probably more time with the Spader character as kind of he's figuring all of this out rather than the the murder sequences like a like a, a serial killer movie would do sometimes. Mm. Yeah, well, but, but I mean, before we even, um, you know, meet him, we're picking up like with the, the detectives mm-hmm. who are just like, yeah, so there's a Jack the Ripper killer and we haven't <laughs> got him and he's just about done. So, you know, there are like <laughs> no more resources over. to be spent on this. Yeah, like it's, 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 it's like a weird place to kind of like start the script. I do like, though, that it results in us hanging out with um, Jim Haney as the guy playing the sergeant, who is just one of your go to movie cops in this era. He for for uh, he's he's got one of those faces. Eagle eyed viewers might recognize him as the police captain in Dark Angel or I Come in Peace. That movie yeah. where Dolph Lundgren fights a CD slicing alien. He's also the sheriff in Mick Garris's Sleepwalkers, where he he's the one who has the deputy who gets killed with the corn cob. (laughs) Um, And 
and this was the, the the real kicker of the whole thing. He's the cop in Time After Time. Uh, oh, the fuck only yeah. other fuck yeah. Jack the Ripper themed genre bender. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's go. There you go. Well, isn't is it's time after time Jack the Ripper, but it's Jaws? Like it's about like like not telling the public that Jack the Ripper's back because it would ruin the opening of a bridge. Or am I? Is that a different Jack the Ripper movie? I'm thinking. No, of. I think that that's right. But it's also the time travel one. Yeah. Yeah. There's also. Malcolm oh no! McDowell don't get me wrong. Thing. There's also time travel. <laughs> 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 don't get it twisted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he he's the one investigating this uh, Jack the Ripper murderer who is basically just he's almost completed his masterwork. And they're just thinking now to consult the psychiatrist, uh, Batera, who is played by Joe Dante, regular Robert Picardo. Uh, and he's the one who gets the great line about Jack the Ripper, you know, being the harbinger, the father of the modern sex crime. You know, he loos, looms large in our killer's it mind. It is really, and, really know, lovely to see Robert Picardo not under makeup. Like he is very good in yes. makeup, but but it is like actually lovely to see him just get to like chew on something for once Mm -hmm. yeah just just stand up and 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 deliver his uh monologue about you know people thought jack the ripper was a medical man due to his precise skill of his cutting and his anatomical (laughs) also like not to not to jump too far ahead but the like later reveal that he's like a mama's boy who lives at home for like (laughs) no reason like that has no bearing on the plot that's another just this is rowdy harrington the king of the the weird red herring that you're like why was that detail in there (laughs) that was really unnecessary and you know they just want to make him seem like briefly creepy yeah um but i but i do like that the whole point of setting this killer up and setting up the fact that he might be a doctor that is what gets us to james spader where he is mm. the young, like, Stanford hotshot in his Hawaiian shirt and Cubs hat and blazer and lab coat combo. With Cooler a cool bedside manner and a heart of gold. He's oh, go ahead, Jamie, were you jumping in? Oh, yeah, it was just uh, he's, he's the, the coolest and most intelligent med student that's ever been. That's essentially what his character is. It's beautiful. Even it, the way that they have, like, him physically introduced when they're doing the 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 examples of, like, teaching someone how to scalp into a body um he's you know he's got his feet up he's got his pencil in his mouth he's just like oh yeah i already know how to do this he's got that kind of physical attitude about him um and uh, and i do like the little joke the bigger the scar the higher the fee and they all chuckle they're like oh we're gonna be so rich <laughs> but uh i do yeah, feel I like, like his introduction uh, it, it- him and like uh, James Peter, who is medical student, and uh, Peter O'Toole's Jesus would get along because I feel like <laughs> yeah. they both are like, like very you know, um, community minded, whatever, yeah, like very like I- idealistic to a fault, like like they whatever his his boss for his his med student placement is like stop going to like unhoused people encampments and and you know spreading the good word like stop yeah. stop helping the community for that you grew up in for god's sake stop <laughs> like, helping that old you lady you have too in much empathy room. for the for the people who come to our clinic <laughs> your bedside manner is too good <laughs> like, <laughs> like i'm james speeder i can't help it <laughs> sorry i know i know yeah I, I just I, I hate when my doctors are 
are late due to volunteering at the the local, uh, you know, the 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 the, 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 pov, the pov, yeah, for the poverty. That, that's the thing too. Like, the, uh, not only is he appearing like he's more intelligent than everybody, he's cooler than everybody. He's suave with the ladies. He helps an old lady uh, with her with her medical issue at one point, which he does get in trouble for. And then after they're all looking at the news, and he's telling everyone about how we should help the the homeless. <laughs> it's just like this dude. This dude's awesome. Holy shit! <laughs> this is a perfect human being right I here. I do. It is hilarious to have a script beat in there where everyone in the clinic up applauds him. Oh yeah, dude. Yes. It's so funny. Like it's great. And then everyone clapped. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. He's just the perfect med student. Oh, fun fact. So the evil doctor who sucks, uh, who like oversees the clinic also plays Freud in Bill and Ted, which I think is fun, all oh, things considered. Yeah. Oh. Nice. That is funny. But yeah, I guess yeah. they have. That's, the just, that's, that's just for us. <laughs> that's just for us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess they, yeah. they know that something's going to happen because the next victim is supposed to be pregnant and going to be murdered in her room. Um, yeah, and it's like I wonder if that's related to the young pregnant sex worker <laughs> that the uh, boss just berated in front of everyone yep. in the clinic. I wonder. You know? Nah, nah. <laughs> she, she, I think she matches the Ripper's final victim qualification uh, qualifications, and and shortly after going um, home, he is. Uh, uh, she's greeted at her door by one of the clinic's creepy employees named Jack, <laughs> carrying his surgical tools in a medical bag, offering to give her to be named Jack uh, in this movie. Th but that's that's why. And I mean, it is a spoiler alert to declare this a red herring right off the bat. But we really do need to say that it's so funny <laughs> that the Jack the Ripper killer, <laughs> copycat killer, is not the guy in the doctor's office named Jack yeah. with We'll talk about some of the specific details on like, it's not just that he's named Jack. It, there's a whole bunch of other details that, you know, he's also carrying around the medical bag. He's offering to give her like a it's dirty like back a socially alley abortion. Awkward galoot. Like he's just like, a, like <laughs> yeah. we do learn he, he like low key has a heart of gold. Like he is trying to like help in his own way. Yeah. Um, he just he's he also, really bad at abortions. That's just, ultimately what we learned. Well, he's he's bad at abortions and he also like 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 does murder James Spader. Pretty That is one of the funniest things about the red herring <laughs> is to just put yourself and make yourself a murderer in front of her eyes, but then be like, all right, but it's not that murderer. <laughs> That's Which very is, yeah, again, I didn't do those again, murders. I, I, I just I did this one. Just this one. Just imagine me cool with like otherwise. a chalkboard ticking like my jollo box once more like i do feel like that is a jollo move to be like he does a murder but he doesn't do the murder yeah that's so funny yeah that's a little giallo-y but the ultimate giallo move would be that it was a woman doing all of the sex crimes so i don't know you know that's yeah, true so that that's mm. presented every within every scene previously with the body of a six foot four man that's that's how you do it yeah <laughs> that's how you do it giallo American American Jollos can only dream so big, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They wish. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is like, like, uh, d dorky, sweet Spader 
is very worried about this woman who rolled up to the uh, clinic. So he goes to her apartment and he finds her gutted and her throat slashed. And he sees Jack, who just also happens to be walking into the room with bloody <laughs> abortion tools going, dude, I didn't do it though. <laughs> I, know what this I swear like. to God, <laughs> the worst timing ever. I know how this looks. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And, 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 he, and he spots his classic Ford, like pickup out outside the building and everything and gets briefly into a, sweaty hilly la car chase in his like rusty volkswagen beetle which yeah. is one of my favorite there details about his character there are a lot of car chases in this movie or like car moments this is a very like la movie in that there's a lot of cars yeah him doing that yeah which again speaking the of the beetle movie the rest of the film it is weird that it's just like all of a sudden it just breaks into like a I mean, I guess that speaks to the, the the noir thing i guess it's trying to do that a little bit but it is it almost it speaks is to just the film and it, it like in general, because it does so many, it, it keeps, I will say that I think it keeps a general tone pretty well, but just certain things that it, that it eventually does like the, the car chase. And then eventually we get into like hypnosis and them sharing like dream visions and stuff like that. It just, uh, it, it is consistently consistent in its tone, but it does a lot of strange things in between, um, for kind of short periods of time. And then it becomes more of Spade or just, you know, trying to find out who's who's doing this or, or who killed his brother, essentially. These are all green flags <laughs> for <laughs> <Yes>. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it but but uh it it really doesn't end up mattering that the guy, whether the guy actually killed her or just performed a really horrible botched abortion or not, because he's so scared about having the cops called on him about being the Jack the Ripper. He's like, dude, look, I know my name's Jack. I, I just <laughs> I know you my know, name's accidentally Jack. killed some I just killed someone <laughs> with a bunch of surgical tools. Like I, I get it. Um, and he becomes the killer anyway by strangling Spader and staging it like a suicide um, uh, by hanging at the clinic, which is you actually need to a really two to really tie the room together. <laughs> yes, and it, and it it is it is a, a tense and well shot little scene because yeah. the actual like stringing up process is really drawn out. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the clinic is like only lit by like the neon red of like the emergency exit. And we just shockingly watch who we presume to be the lead of the film, just die like a really slow, painful death where he, <laughs> he chokes him out at first and then starts yanking him across the floor with the yeah, noose. And then he wakes up in time to get hanged again mm-hmm. <laughs> when it, when he gets strung up the second who? time. <laughs> what, I, what I find yeah. really interesting about it is, is, Jack, like, because once again, we we have established already just within w- within our knowledge now, because we've seen the movie, that this is a red herring. But so I would expect him in this defensive state to just like do that initial strangle and then he dies. And you could still pull it off like it's an it was an impulsive move of self-defense because he doesn't want to go to prison or whatever. But then he they have the moment where he then hangs him. Then he gets loose and then he like drags him. He, uh, James Spader starts to crawl away. And so he wraps the noose around him and then pulls him from like 15 feet away and just holds There's him there. There's some serial and killer I'm like, deliberation. Yeah, I'm like, Dude, you're taking you know, a while to do this. I don't think it's an impulsive <laughs> I mean, move any longer, you know? And it's, uh, th- that it's was that kind of strange. It's that level of overkill but. too that 
feels very jollo to me. Like like yeah. the overkill of it. I'm I like that feels I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep banging on this gong. Feels more jollo than uh, and than what's interesting to too is that he sets up the chair so that it looks like a suicide, but almost immediately the cops are like, "No, this was a murder." So th- th- that whole setup doesn't really do anything. I think I get why he would Some do it. Some fucking just, idiot staged this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. They knew I right think it was away. a guy named Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but this is where I guess um. The 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 hot James Spader brooding too. James Spader is Rick is initiated. You know the other one was named John, kind of a boring name. Now <laughs> we got Rick. Rick. He's the Fucking tortured nine. badass and a strange twin brother with his one earring, his scar, his leather jacket. It's like kind of and, he, and I just, swoopy wavy hair that goes to the side a little bit, but it's spiky. You know, it's not a muscle like shirt said, leather jacket combo, right? Something for everyone. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, I, the but way it, you know it, it is funny. Is he says things like "fuck your eyewitness." <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> Such a fucking badass. And I, I do like the cut from like the brother being killed and then Spader waking up in bed because it's a very discombobulating moment where you also go. It does like that sequence did feel overkill. It did feel like a nightmare sequence and he was having sure. a nightmare, but it was a very vivid nightmare. And when he turns up at the scene of the crime, it was like, oh, this nightmare was an actual thing that was happening. And so then he goes, my brother didn't kill himself. Uh, there was so someone's cool hands. He- I saw someone pulling it. Yeah. When he shows up at the scene of the crime and all the reporters are like, huh? Because <laughs> you look like the corpse. <laughs> yeah, I do like <laughs> hearing the actual reactions you have in the background from the cops seeing him just pull up. They're like, wait, what? what didn't we just put you in the ambulance? <laughs> Uh, I thought that that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, and the, you, I love that the cops find the body. And, <laughs> and, and and before they've even done like any work, they're like, we're already calling the press conference. We're going to announce that he this guy was the killer the whole time, even though his brother is here being like, dude, I'm a witness and this is a frame job. And they're like, we don't fucking care. Man, the <laughs> yeah. cops in this movie suck so much. It's so funny. Like, yeah. They're so bad at their jobs and it makes me laugh. Like their greatest wish. <laughs> Is just for all of this to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it is Dude, funny no, though to no watch more taxpayer like, money on Jack the Ripper killer. It is funny. Oh to, no, just or just later in the film when they think they're really close, and then those two guys come in and they're like, uh, "Sorry, the timeline's not timelining," and they're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> <I'm> like, no, <laughs> <I'm> like, damn it. <laughs> it is funny to think that the uh, that James Spader's second James Spader Rick. Um, thinks that this would be completely convincing. It's just the way he presents it is very funny. The way that like someone wouldn't just outright call him crazy when he's like, my brother was murdered. I saw it in a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, man. Like I I get it. Maybe we should at least listen to you in some capacity, but it does. My sources. I saw it in a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Saw it in my dreams. (laughs) Write that down. Although it is funny that when they do start believing him, they start believing him and going, well, then he's the suspect, though. Yeah. You know, because like, like, that's, that's that fucking they, weird. They kind of they it does kind of go against him when they're like, he's saying that he saw it in his fucking dreams. Either he's telling the truth or he's the murderer. <laughs> yeah, they were like, we, we, we actually do believe that his brother was strung up and hanged by someone. I bet you it was his brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He knows a lot of details you know. here. He, he, he is he is a shoe store manager with a criminal record, you know, God, you know the that's that. at the end that he runs this year that he works in like a sport sports goods. Yeah, is so those funny. footlocker managers, man, dangerous in like a people. horrible yeah. polo. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and he's just servicing a guy who's like smoking like a big cigar or whatever, and is like, "Are these good for aerobics?" He's like, "Yeah, man, you know, whatever." <laughs> um, and I, I and I do like that, despite not believing him, the cops, the, fir- the the first idea that they have is to call the psychiatrist in and have him hypnotized to bring about uh, the vision and nightmare and sort of like memory out of out of his. Uh, mind Mm -hmm. where he does go you know he sees jack's face he's like i saw that motherfucker's face so now i know who it is and we're gonna and we're gonna find him and it and it starts him on his kind of what is more ultimately of like a dream logic investigation than like a cop (laughs) (laughs) another another point in meg's court i would say yeah (laughs) yeah that one that one we can give to meg 100 (laughs) percent on the board yeah and and it is awesome how much of it is just like james spader is cool like so much of this is just based oh, around yeah. like no, like the oh just 80 percent of this movie is james spader being a badass walking around being <laughs> like i'm so sad that james spader is dead <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if only there was two james spaders Thank still God, alive there's another one of share the screen together yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's at one point, the scene, there actually the is. The, oh, go oh, ahead. Just a, after uh, we see his horrible retail job, and he's just smoking and drinking whiskey on his wonderful porch, petting his cat, and I'm like, I think that's living. I think he's got figured <laughs> out. Yeah, I do like his they're, 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 performance during the hypnosis when he actually has to like physically act out like he's being hanged in the chair and uh, and and being yeah, choked cool. and all of that. Like, I, I do like when it starts to physically connect to his dream and the hypnosis and all that. That was pretty nice. Yeah. I love that shot in that scene of when he's being interrogated behind the like two way mirror by the cops, Mm -hmm. uh, including also I want to give a shout out briefly, Chris Mulkey, who I always think of as the, uh, the opening, uh, Ferrari hair metal bank heist, Grand Theft Auto, uh, shit in the hidden. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, that's that's just what I always think of that guy. Let's go. Yeah, he's Uh, right. He's the opening shot of the hidden. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, and, uh, but, but there's a great shot when he's being interrogated by them and they're prepping this hypnosis scene they're about to do with him where James Bader is just blowing smoke in the direction of the mirror, which we see framed from the other side with the psychiatrist where there's just a second James Spader on the little TV screen monitor. So we get to see him doing it twice. Yeah. So briefly there is two James Spaders on the screen at the same time. Just in that <laughs> Thank one shot. God. <laughs> yeah. You can't have everything um, dead ringers. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And uh, but yeah, the, the, the cops do ultimately just get more suspicious of him for having so much of this information. And they were like, well, yeah, we think, you, you know, maybe your brother was killed and framed. And if so, uh, we think it was you. Uh, so he has to go do all this investigating kind of uh, on on his own and looking into his uh, brother's life but there's a lot of great detail of just like everyone's weirded out by the appearance of a second james spader yeah. like like when especially when chris the you know the you know the the employee he had a bit of like a cute relationship with uh she gets a shot at him except you know now he's even sexier and now he's actually willing to take her out for dinner <laughs> unlike the other james spader now. who was too busy being a good guy mm-hmm. to uh think about going on dates yeah they even have like lines um, and there, where and, like do you even have a penis like that's the kind of <laughs> 80s humor that they yeah. were throwing in I loved it. Yeah. And there's definitely also uh, like a tiny bit of like, you know, 
I think they could have maybe done a little bit more with it, but there is mm. some tension um, for him with how she like looks at him and like likes him despite totally. the fact that there's like no history together, like for on his side of it. So he's yeah. kind of like taking his br- brother's position in life as a doppelganger and they're both kind of grieving the brother together. So there, there's, there's something there in the writing. It's just, you know, it's not quite dead ringers, you know, yeah, in terms of how well developed that is like thematically, I guess, you know, yeah, it, it, it turns more into like, <laughs> Like they're helping each other solve the case and by the end you you know you, you kind of feel like there was something in in between but i i liked that thought of her seeing you know her old friend in him and kind of just subconsciously falling for him i, I do wish they delved in that a little bit deeper because i did find that interesting um but i like uh i do like their initial scene at the at the bar just because like again spader is doing his just like i'm so i'm so dark and sad about my brother and they're trying to can't figure even it out. finish my beer <laughs> oh i was literally just gonna say that 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 one <laughs> that one detail in that in that scene drove me nuts i think i even said it to josh when we watched it for the first time like months ago i was like he didn't even finish his beer what is going on i'm glad here? we're on the same page <laughs> yeah i was I, he, he drinks like a like <laughs> a tenth of that thing i'm like come on man <laughs> chug it at least but uh, but yeah, it's yeah. it's a nice little scene with her. I also love that beautiful crane shot of them driving to the pub in the convertible as mm-hmm. it's like above them, top down, and it certainly it goes to meet them. Like there's an, a bunch of just really cool little like directorial fl- flourishes by by Harrington. Yeah, that, it looks real. You know, nice. it is it. it the, the the style goes a long way for this film. It does. I think, and the mood of which, it, which is why, like my my pitch to people about this movie, apart from the there's two James Spaders, and it's it's what I think it is. I think it is a good example of an American Jallo. Um, is that I think this is a good representation of the best that Tubi has to offer. Like I know this is not a Tubi <laughs> original, but like I think it embodies the Tubi dream, which is that you <laughs> click on something because an actor you know is in it, and then it turns out to exceed your expectations. That's that's yeah. like what I think this film. That's the pitch for me. Is and it kind of has a, those strange flourishes a, a little bit, like something that doesn't. I would I would argue like doesn't totally all come together in fruition but there's a, a lot of just strange qualities throughout the entire thing that makes it its own entity a little bit yeah like maybe not a diamond in the rough but like a yeah. very cool rock from the beach is like the be dream so good <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I totally agree but 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 so much of this movie really and I mean I like this stuff so you know it's mileage may vary but it, it so much of it is just like either mournful or ominous walking around in like yeah. the moonlight or like flashlights are out the saxophones are going yeah, like even, and it's either like scenes scenes of him like rummaging through his brother's house and life that he hasn't been a part of for for years including uh, the Polaroids that he finds which is one of the ones where he finds jack and recognize him as the guy who killed his brother in in the nightmare which is like an important like plot detail Mm -hmm. but it's like that that almost doesn't feel like the focus of the scene it really is just like james spader being like man i'm sad there's only one james spader now yeah totally walking around the room i will will say then i even wrote it down in my notes i was like if I, i was just thinking you know it is pretty much as james spader looking sad around a room looking at his brother's things that you know he hasn't seemingly it doesn't seem like they hung out a, a whole 
ton lately anyway. I don't know if they mentioned what their relationship was like. They do mention that they were kind of estranged, okay. but they were still yeah. very close gotcha. uh, as in they were telekinetically close. Gotcha. I guess. <laughs> but I could, I imagined um, like just, just watching the scene. I'm like without this saxophone and synth, like I don't know if it would have that, that same, <laughs> that same vibe, but um, it just, uh, I just love the, the score that they end up going for Cause it does make those little scenes, a little bit more intriguing and almost in that detective sense. It, it's kind of a mix because yeah. you know you're looking at him watching his brother's things and, and being sad about it, but then he's also trying to discover things. So I think the the, the dark synth kind of helps with the mood and then the saxophone. The cops are also the just like farcically following him around, yeah. not doing an invent. Like he's actually doing the investigating mm-hmm. and they're just following him doing the investigating kind of. And they actually treat that a little bit like a gag. There's that very funny wide shot of the one cop up top on the balcony and the other one down below on the lawn being like, dude, how did we lose him? And he's just like hanging out near their car. Like <laughs> yeah. if they just like looked over at their car, they they would see him just being like, hee hee, you know? Like, yeah, they didn't put the, <laughs> the most effort into finding him after they walked out of the house. <laughs> no, you you understand within five minutes why the Jack the Ripper killer hasn't been caught. Because you're like, oh, these are, all right. They are incompetent. Okay. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, it is also followed by a uh, great little uh, stalker voyeur sequence uh, outside of Chris's place, which is very just the opening of Blowout. Um, speaking of that, like it's just oh, peering yeah. into her window blinds while she's like undressing, darting into the alley, seeing the like POV shot of the gloved hand, like reach out like towards like the door and stuff like that. And Spader, I think, is the one who arrives like silhouetted and he walks over in the same place that like the creep was just standing in. It's a, it is like a Will Graham moment of like I am like, you know, in the same headspace as the yeah. killer and in the same shot as him. Okay, and, okay. you know, point for John. Gosh. <laughs> there we go. See? And I do, right. I do like that he instantly, like he shows up. Um, she calls him an asshole because she thinks that he was the one that was uh, looking at her. And then he instantly goes like defensive, protective mode. Um, and then to further sell you that these cops are just absolute morons, they show up as well. And then they have that fucking hilarious and stupid line where she's like, no, you can't come in. I'm not dressed. And the one much dumber cop is like, oh, no, it's okay. We're cops. Even the other cop looks at him (laughs) like, dude, what are you fucking doing, man? This is not appropriate. Um, Meanwhile, James Spader's in that great shot hiding behind the mirror uh, in, in her place. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's honestly a funny little scene. There, there's a couple funny little scenes like yeah. the um, uh, James Spader going to the porno theater to buy a gun. I guess he just like watched Taxi Driver. He was like, Are these two things like, happened in that movie. Definitely. I've um, seen Taxi Driver. Wrong, They'll have guns. No bullets. He was because the guy doesn't sell him bullets. And even Chris is like, dude, you didn't get any bullets. Like, what are you what, what are we doing here? <laughs> I don't even remember. Do they you guys might need to make me remember. Do they do they? Do they use it? I don't think they do. They don't even no. I don't. I don't think it's a plot relevant gun. I think. I think. I, I guess think it's just buys a gun. Just a, a fun yeah. Okay. Little side quest okay. so that we could get to ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, that I, I imagine <laughs> I it's see. just as to establish that it's to 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 make you think they're going to need that kind of defense, like they're going into danger. Mm. But I guess you're a right. A good they gag would have been him just using it as like a blunt weapon or something. Yeah. He didn't have any bullets. Cause so, like you, know. you said, eventually what he's doing is he just dives through a window and fucks the guy up. So it's not, um, I don't think he does use the gun. That is a funny watch his manhunter once. He's like, yes. I can do that. There's just, there's no way to got to it, but you know, he watched same, taxi driver and manhunter and went wild. Yeah. 
<laughs> but but it, it is it is one of those things too where they also need to clear out that you know it's also not jack mm-hmm. you know like spader is you know he's he's spending this whole time trying to hunt down this guy he saw in his dream which is jack and he's like well jack killed my brother so this guy must be the guy and he's like he has a bloody medical bag and uh and and the, that's what's kind of so funny about this movie is that there really isn't like much of a mystery because it, it like sure. they really show you one guy who it is and they're like it's so obvious that it's this guy that you you have to on some level as a trained viewer be like okay well it's not this guy but they're really not giving you a whole lot uh i mean like they give you the one scene where the guy freaks out at the people in the clinic yeah and he's kind of sweet too he does get that moment with jack where he is genuinely very empathetic and kind to him where he just lets him know like hey like i do notice you i think you're doing a good job even though you're you know quieter and not as social as the rest of them um, yeah. which is weird. Like, I feel like that scene was supposed to read as creepy as like the, the, <laughs> um, the doctor being like my protege, you're doing great. Like you're doing the murder. That's excellent. But instead it reads as like this actually very tender moment of mentorship. Um, yeah. which I do think actually plays into the movie's, uh, favor in that it just like makes it even more kind of like sticky Confounding. And, and complicated. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah. Oh, also Rod Rod Loomis, I, who's the guy who plays uh, the, uh, the 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 boss doctor, Sydney Sydney Tannerson, kind of a weird name. Uh, <laughs> also, the, the 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 guy who directs the uh, the uh, TV no Jack. <laughs> uh, bit in uh, Body Double. Oh, okay. Hey, that's awesome. The De Palma. Oh, there you go, Rod Loomis. Yeah, Loomis. There it is. Um, yeah. There was a, oh, I, there, this detail I thought was really funny and we haven't mentioned it yet, but Rick has martial arts skills somehow. Oh my which God, I, I forgot. He, there are several scenes where he's not just like tackling somebody or wrestling someone like you'd normally see in someone that doesn't know how to fight, but like is trying his best. Um, he's straight up doing like high kicks, punches, uppercuts. This guy is taking out. I think it's a couple people. He has a fight with Jack, and I think he has another brief fight with someone else, if I'm not mistaken. But but he's straight up, like, he's got the hands up. He's doing high kicks. I just was like, Rick's got some background here I mean, that we're not sure about. Roadhouse <laughs> is just around the corner. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's prepping for Roadhouse. He also House. works at a sports center. Maybe he, like, is watching a lot of, like, instructional tapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it comes natural to him. But I thought yeah. that that detail was funny when they start to get into the the physical scuffles because it, it feels kind of out of place from everything else we've seen from him. He just seems like such a cool, calm, collected guy. And you'd think that, you know, he'd have a rough around the edges, maybe fighting bone in him. But just the way he fights no, he in this, <laughs> it's so funny. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> but it turns out against all odds, as as we've mentioned, it is not the guy named Jack at the doctor's office no. who was found with the last m- murder victim minutes after she had been killed, having just offered uh, to give her an abortion with his uh, surgical tools at the clinic. We know that all of the victims in some capacity visited the clinic, which is why they suspected the first James Spader brother in the first place. Um, um, and it also finds that the, the craziest detail of the whole thing is when they, when, um, 
second spader actually gets this jack guy arrested and they go yeah he actually does have a record of sexual assault by the way too <laughs> I um, about that. And, and 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 also he says that you know he's he's not saying that he's <laughs> killed any of the the women but he did say that he did in fact blatantly murder your brother he says, he's just denying everything else he also this was my favorite detail he does admit to the murder but he claims that it was self-defense and and just the once again the play image the of back. yeah the play <laughs> the tape back it takes him like 20 minutes to kill this guy and he is very much just premeditating it at a certain point so it is it's so funny to think he's like no man that was self that was impulsive that was just in the moment i had to do that that rope just yeah, dude, he was gonna call the cops on me <laughs> it's like dude you set up a chair and spilt it over to make it look like a suicide what do you mean it was self-defense it's so funny yeah <laughs> yeah, but it but it doesn't matter. It all turns out to be the most extremely elaborate red herring I've ever seen in a movie. That's right. And after Spader 2 breaks into his house and gets into a fight with him, resulting in his arrest, we find out that it wasn't him at all, but it was the asshole boss, Dr. Sidney Tannerson at the clinic, who, again, whose only prior scenes were him berating his staff uh, and all the poor people who came into his clinic, which speaks to the sort of uh, reactionary rantings of Peter O'Toole as Jack the Ripper as well. But then also just the one scene where he's like, Jack, you're a good employee. I like you. you know? <laughs> yes. uh, um, and, uh, I, I do like that the mood of how all of this is established, which is that Spader is just like driving around town, like still unsettled and haunted. And he's not like exactly sure why. And like the camera is spinning above him in bed and mm -hmm. he's driving his convertible through that, like that iconic L.A. tunnel that we've seen in so many movies. And the wind is blowing and the jazzy synthy score is going. And it's him going back to his psychiatrist for another hypnosis. session. He's like, something just also feels wrong. You, you like, need to you hypnotize me hypnotize again. <laughs> I don't care that I woke your mom up. You gotta hypnotize me. Oh wait, that's yeah. when the gun comes in. Doesn't doesn't a gun come in? It's the doctor, though. I think b b briefly the doctor thinks oh, about shooting gun. him, <laughs> which I don't understand exactly why. I, like I, I guess maybe he's he he's murderer. meant to be scared that he's the yeah, killer. That's right? what I think. Is that what it is? That's what I think it was. Or the film was trying to do another red herring where they're like maybe it's actually the psychologist because he's taking out the gun but i i don't i think it was because he felt threatened by spader it's such a weird throwaway yeah, moment <laughs> either one of those i guess works technically within the film but i wasn't entirely yeah. sure exactly what it was going why for. not both i think either way it does work it, in a way so yeah yeah but but then he but then it's so funny he hypnotizes him and he's like okay what if i hypnotize you for like one second longer than last time <laughs> and then he sees the other doctor in who was oh, hanging right. out in the building at the same time <laughs> 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 we got him and so and, and and that's it they were like oh my god it's the other doctor so the final set piece is spader you know knowing the killer is is still out there ripping his way over to chris's place where he knows that she's in danger presuming that you know he's going to kill her even though his his spree should be done technically i mean i guess he's just he's getting a little cocky now he's yeah. like i got away with this so i guess inventing. we'll start it up again <laughs> yeah um 
But there is cool nighttime shots of Spader driving over being like chased by the cops to like electric guitar whales and everything. And it's cross cut with the very slow and creepy little break in sequence with like the doctor like surgically cutting like the piece of glass. He can reach in and like unlock the door Mm -hmm. and like the moonlight rays are bleeding through like the blinds and stuff like that. It's again, it is like Harrington does reveal himself to be a, uh, you know, a a good stylist and and uh, having a good sense of atmosphere for all of this stuff if not necessarily the staging of the actual chase sequence that takes place in that house which is just him Look, we, like, we all can't be William freaking <laughs> no not a, not not off the first go Roadhouse has some great staging in it but this it is one of those things where like it starts in like a place where I thought it was going to be a amazing sequence because it's like him unloading his medical bag on like the reflection in the coffee table and he's like putting the Polaroid down he's pointing the scal- scalpel down and it's like and then it, it is just him approaching her with a scalpel making an evil face until she wakes up (laughs) and then she just starts like running in various rooms around the house and they start just kind of like running into each other and like these like handheld shots and stuff and it's just it's a it's a little silly yeah it's choreography it's it's a it's a little bit silly and i will say he takes uh way too much time if he was trying to pull off a murder like he really like you're right when it says that slow creep up to her until she finally like wakes up screams hits him in the face and then rolls over of like like dude you missed she was your asleep. shot you're really yeah. bad murderer this is bad <laughs> you do all those other murders so good <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um, these cops but, really suck huh <laughs> yeah. and well what's funny about this ending too just given that they still kind of have an idea i think unless i'm remembering incorrectly that it could still be spader as the the suspect so he dives through the window that, to save. that's why they're chasing him yeah right. like so, the, that's the, the cops only arrive at this place at all because they're still chasing spader and spader's <laughs> the only one who does the investigating work which i also want to clarify is not through any investigating work it's through being hypnotized oh yeah <laughs> he just knows he's just connected that's that's what it is um but i love that he's you know he's wrestling him uh, uh wrestling sydney so that he can save uh chris and um and eventually i think he kills him by stabbing him if i'm not if i'm not mistaken and it's just funny because oh yeah he just murders the guy and then he hugs chris and the cops come in and like you know look at it and they seem to be completely accepting of that without any other information no no no. it's not until the detective comes in and swats their guns when he goes hey not this guy this guy's cool yeah this guy's cool (laughs) no further investigation needed Sydney showed up at first the cops are totally going in there to just like shoot Spader as well and they're gonna be like dude you just murdered a guy dude that would have been a wild ending (laughs) so I guess you're you're just supposed to assume that the cops saw Sydney and then realized that he must be the killer so we're not gonna shoot Jack right now or uh, Rick rather um so yeah but (laughs) either way i mean watching spader (laughs) dive through the window and everything (laughs) was uh was at least fun even though it is a manhunter move for sure but yeah i mean james james spade i mean you can't blame james spader someone you know every person at some point in their life wants to pretend that they're william peterson absolutely it's understandable yeah Come Every on, time I, I accidentally Jersey walk bow-legged down the street, I'm just trying to be him. Sorry, I can't <laughs> <Yep>. be him. <laughs> Anytime you oh, have sorry. cowboy boots, uh, jeans, and a uh, sports jersey crop top combo, you're just like, yep. Yep. Oh, man. That's who I am. That fit is so powerful. Oh, and the scarf, too. I almost forgot about the scarf. Yeah, come on now. Mm. Wonderful. Unnecessary, but just mm-hmm. so cool. Um, but yeah, I like, yeah. I do like that they wrap it up with the same pop song as well. It's, it's, 
I, I think there's just something about me that loves the kind of the nostalgia of that 80s pop uh, kind of pop rock song that shows up in some of these, even though we've just saw, like we've just witnessed murders and it wasn't all that. I mean, it was fun, but the, the, James you know, like, I just want to vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I just song. love, it's like, even no matter what you've presented to me, if I can vibe after three stars, well done. <laughs> <laughs> you get it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I totally get it. Spader, Spader power. Yeah, well, I feel quite similarly. If we're pivoting towards the reductive rating round, this was a solid three for me. Yeah. Um, and on, on rewatch, maybe even a higher three. Yeah, yes. I think it's a strong three. <laughs> yes. yeah. I I had a good uh, time with this because, like, just, again, despite the fact, despite the fact that it is it is very strange that it it really is not that much of a Jack the Ripper film. Um, <laughs> it is, and and it's not even it <laughs> like it is it is a <laughs> it is a the, the murder mystery the Jack the Ripper <laughs> element is like a back burner subplot to a uh again a a noirish melodrama about a brother who has nightmares about his brother and has a telekinetic psychic relationship to him who in finds out all of this information uh via that not by doing any kind of uh noirish investigative work which actually does speak to meg's point that it's more of a giallo um <laughs> and it's, so it's just it's such a strange first time script that was like very clearly just like meant to cash in on the style trends of the like MTV crime movie, but mm. also to cash in specifically on, you know, Jack the Ripper killed people in 1888. What year is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is so um, funny. That's like most of why this was made in, in a sense. You can see the executive producer do? mindset Not just like light up. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Totally. <laughs> You know, but 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 credit to Harrington, you know, he has the, uh, you know, the the synthy voyeur thriller uh, style trickery to pull it off. I like being reminded of things like Manhunter and things like De Palma when I'm watching a movie. If anyone's doing that, I like a movie that gives me an excuse to spend this much time with James Spader. The only issue is that they don't ever share the screen together. But, you know, understandable. They maybe didn't have the budget to go full Dead Ringers mode on it. And uh, yeah, again, the the very concept of updating being like Jack the Ripper was the the godfather of the sex crime and being like, now let's do what's a 1980 sex crime movie. And we're going to put those two things together and James Spader's going to sweat around. It's going to kind of look like a music video. And yeah, how can you not say that that's a good movie? And also, even if it wasn't still just having the most <laughs> elaborate and funny red herring I've ever seen in a movie was enough to make me just like, like I legitimately Jamie and I watched this for the first time together. <laughs> it was on Meg's recommendation. Cause I wasn't sure when we were going to get around to doing this episode. She just mentioned t- to me at TIFF. I was like, Jamie, we're going to watch I'm this prompted. movie. Meg, Meg, Meg keeps telling me about it. And <laughs> we both literally lost our minds when it got to the point where they were like, okay, well it, it it's, it's, it's not Jack. Despite the fact that they go, he has a recorded history of sexual assault and he's the, and he's, and he works at the clinic. He's got the medical bag. His name is Jack. And they were, and, and no one thought to even like bring him in and be like, could this guy be the copycat killer? And he's not. And he, and, and he's still a murderer. He's still (laughs) Still a rapist murderer. Anyway, he's just not the rapist murderer (laughs) that they're looking for. It's like, it's so, it's such an insane decision that I've never seen 
seen a movie do to this degree and uh i have to respect it on some level yeah because usually they almost bring like some kind of sympathy for the person that's being framed or whatever but you're like no this guy is a piece of shit just not the piece of shit we're looking for (laughs) and that's that is very funny um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go with a strong three i really did uh like this i even liked it more the second time around um, I love Spader. It's just as you know, dual Spaders is great. You gotta, you, you can't go wrong with that. Um, I do think that Harrington has a pretty good control over the style, and I think that this, uh, I do, I really do love all of the, you know, the saxophone and the synths and the kind of '80s pop that is mixed into this. It, it does have kind of a music video feel at times. Um, and like, you know, those shots of him just driving down the LA streets with the, with the, the reflections going off the puddles on the street and all of that. It, it has that look I, that I absolutely love. Um, but yeah, it, it is a, it's a very strange narratively speaking. Uh, it does have the, like you said, the strangest red herring ever, um, that, honestly becomes kind of comical just the more that it dives into the case and then you see this murderer saying stuff like it's it was self-defense um when we've seen the entire context and it honestly looks like in that scene he means that wholeheartedly as a character so it, it, it i don't know if it was just him as a character kind of just trying to lie to himself or lie to the people to get through the situation he was in or if it was kind of a a, a miscommunication between the director of the director doing that scene and then it being included in the narrative later. But either way, I think it still works for me. Um, this is a lot of fun and, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it for sure. It's just, it is a little, it is a little messy just in the sense that it's focus isn't what you'd think it would be. And maybe that's kind of jarring in a way. Um, but yeah, I do like it a lot. I do like it. So yeah, strong three. Are you make? Uh, I love mess. Three point five to four, depending on the day. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like. I, I've listen. <laughs> I've watched a lot of Jack the Ripper movies, and the best ones use Jack the Ripper as a lens to talk about something completely different. Um, I think yeah. if every Jack the Ripper movie was just uh, the ten or yeah, just the tenant or whatever, the lodger. Like I, mm-hmm. I've seen so many lodger movies. Like we don't need any more. It's fine. But I think I think using Jack the Ripper historical character as an narrative springboard to do other more interesting things, I think is great. And I think I think Jack's back is a great example of where it can take you. Um, uh, and I think brothers who James dream. Spaders, yeah, I, I think the two James Spaders should have kissed, and that's my only complaint. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and I think this is like when people proselytize about Tubi uh, being good. The, these are the sort of discoveries they're talking about. Like I, the, this feels like a true bargain bin discovery, and. Uh, or like a late night watch discovery that makes you want to tell all your friends about it. Um, mm-hmm. And it is on Tubi. That's yeah, good. It's also, it's on Tubi. It's on Plex. Uh, it's 90 minutes. Yes. It's got two James Spaders. That. that is, that is, that is uh, a great yeah. economic You get badass deal. sex God, James Spader. And you also get like Stargate James Spader. You get both in one movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> what more could you ask for? <laughs> now you know some we, we will have some people someone out there is shouting stargate james spader is sex god james spader, <laughs> yeah. but that's you know no that's mannequin we'll james that, spader <laughs> we'll have that discussion another time i gotta see mannequin when we talk about stargate <laughs> and when we talk well that's what we'll do mannequin and stargate hell yeah <laughs> this is the year of spader and the year of the lion both 
I mean, yeah, I think we should right. put James Spader and William Peterson in the same movie. There's still time. Ooh. We need to, you know what? Both of them are movie traders because both of them went to television for the I money. I was going to say, did, yeah, yeah. did, did, did William Peterson not get path. a guest slot on the blacklist? That should have happened if that didn't happen. I feel like we need to lure them back to the screen and make them either fight or kiss. <laughs> Yeah, like, and they gotta be wearing scarves while they're doing it. They as can well. both play Jack the Ripper, and <laughs> it can be a to be original, and I will watch. <laughs> Hell yeah, that'd be amazing. Is 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 the blacklist still on? Did I just say? Who knows? I don't know. There's there's okay. simply That's... no way of knowing that kind of thing. It's pretty insane that there's there was at the very minimum there was ten years of everyone's grandpa's favorite show starring James Spader for a while. Yeah. There. Oh yeah. Make that coin, bud. That's how I guess say. Hell yeah. TV, TV grandpa well, money. <laughs> <laughs> I think that will wrap it up for Jack's back and for this week's episode. Uh, once again, that was the ruling class from 1972 and Jack's back from 1988. Thanks so much, Meg, for joining us and for bringing these uh, uh, <laughs> very bizarre <laughs> Jack the Ripper films that I would not have known probably were. I mean, Jack's back a little bit more obvious. The ruling class, I would have had no idea that that was a Jack the Ripper film unless you told me so. Yeah, that was insane. Look, my, my objective is just to, to, to continue to bamboozle both of you. That's my only it. my only objective here. I'm 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 a, a Val Kilmer in Tombstone. The like I have not yet begun to defile myself. That's that's the objective. <laughs> that's the mission statement. It is fun whenever right. Josh tells me you're coming on. I know it's gonna be weird <laughs> and wild and I, I always look forward to it. <laughs> Great, excellent. That's that's the goal. <laughs> it's the Meg. It's the Meg guarantee. The Me- Meg's trick. Oh yeah, that's what she does. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but Meg, what's going on in in your world? You got any writing coming up? Anything to promote while you're here? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Film School Rejects, uh, previous work over at Cinescope, and I am on uh, the site formerly known as Twitter at the Worst None, and uh, at the same name on Blue Sky. Um, and, uh, I'm also on Letterboxd, uh, True. I think also maybe is the worst one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah oh, we, and I oh, do, uh, I go. do, maybe I'll, maybe I'll send the link to you, Josh. Oh. I do have a list of Jack the Ripper movies <laughs> that I did oh. for film school rejects. Uh, oh, do you? That sounds great. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, one like of them might be Jack. Ja- the one of them is definitely. Are you googling? The chat? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe we can link it so the people can just yeah. Jack the Ripper. If I can, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, you have to send it to me so I can link that it in the bottom if, of the episode. If you if you listen to this whole thing and you were like, you know what, I need more, <laughs> unhinged Meg Shields recommends Jack the Ripper movies. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. 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 If if you can't find it, I'll send you the link. But that's 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 where I am. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I do mean, like this I mean, one Michael here. Douglas's, Ten Udo uh, Kier horror movies for absolute freaks. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah. I tried. I tried to get the kingdom on there, but I was uh, informed that it is not a movie, um, <laughs> oh. which is unfortunate. Well, that's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Not true. Mm-hmm. Even. Isn't it on Letterboxd? You know. Therefore, movie. I watched it at a yeah. film festival, so you know. If I if I watch the whole thing in one sitting, movie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. If I watch it on movie, movie. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, but for our listeners, we are going to be back in one week's time where I'm going to, I got to pull this up for a second here where, oh yeah, <laughs> we are going to be mode. going brain flattening, unhinged nineties, <laughs> uh, thriller mode. We are going to be doing the pairing that you guys, uh, over on the Patreon have been asking for a while of Russell Mulcahy's 1991 ricochet starring Denzel Wathing, oh Washington my God. and John oh my Lithgow. God. Is it ever starring Talk. Lithgow? Yep. Uh, <laughs> starring John Lithgow as uh, a man more evil than Jack the Ripper and it has a more elaborate plan than the red herring that we discussed in Jack's back. <laughs> so oh, I can't wait man. for you all to hear us talk about that. It was it's it's going to be insane. No and the pairing safe. was a little film called Freeway. Oh, yeah. Directed Let's by go. Matthew Bright. <laughs> Hilarious is, uh, one Reese of, Witherspoon performance. Can't one wait. of the best Reese Witherspoon performances. The final third act of that movie lives rent free in my head. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it it's is, a wild movie. It is bonkers. I, I can't even describe either of them to you in like short form. So we'll just have <laughs> yeah, to wait until that episode comes it. out because both movies, the log lines are insane and you cannot believe what you are seeing on screen <laughs> when that log line actually <laughs> is realized. So, um, that's uh, next week over on the Patreon for anyone interested. And then in two weeks time, we are going to be back with a special guest where we are going to be doing another episode that uh, you guys have been kind of uh, asking us about or at least asking for the two movies separately on their own. We're going to be doing two Sleazoids legends together in one episode. We're going to be talking Albert Pune yeah. and his fantasy film, The Sword and the Sorcerer, which is kind of like his like version of like a Beastmaster style film. And we're going to be pairing that with Lucio Fulci's Conquest. Oh, oh yeah. Conquest going. is so good. So much fun. Conquest was yep. shot with a potato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Did you know that the camera see. was a potato? <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that. <laughs> Uh, it's good. so I cannot wait. We are going to be going fantasy mode with two. Uh, uh, you I can't know, believe two I directors didn't that we've covered that so much bill. on the show. <laughs> I know. Well, it, it it was it was interesting because we the, the patrons have kind of recommended that one. I think a couple times, and we kind of had it on the back burner as one that we would might potentially do. And then a guest just picked it anyway. So we were like, okay, I guess we're doing it. <laughs> Bumped up. Let's do Damn. it. I'm excited. We haven't talked about Pune or Fulci in a while, mm-hmm. so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Mamma mia. That's what we're going to be doing in two weeks' time. But yeah, that being said, that wraps up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.